Hello and welcome to episode eight of Giant Mess. I am your host, the real cinch, Neil Lynch, and uh, I'm a Giants and Mets fan who also happens to be a giant mess. Uh, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about the New York Mets losing ground in the wild card race, but are they getting another resurgence? We'll take a look at the road ahead for them. We'll also talk about the New York Giants' cataclysmic week one loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Are there any positives we can take away from that nightmare? I'll also give my review of Mindhunter, season two on Netflix, the movie Good Boys, Thoroughbreds, Rocketman, Aquaman, Booksmart, and we got a whole lot more to cover. So let's just dive right in. Apologies. I'm going to start with an apology. Um, I had a joke when I was doing, back when I was doing stand-up, it always did. Okay. It would get a chuckle here or there, a guffaw, if you will. It would have been a little something like this. Uh, I wasn't very, I'm not very smart. Um... And in college, uh, I majored in apology. Sorry. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it should bring a little, just a little smile to your face. Um, but apologies. I'm going to start with an apology to you guys. I've been, I've been MIA the past two weeks, and there's good reasons why. No excuses. Play like a champion. I get it. But I got to tell you. I got to fill you in. So, two weeks ago, last week in August, last full week in August, daycare. Uh, the school where my daughter goes um they gave us fair warning on this so this is on us they just said yeah we're closing down we're closing down shop we're gonna give the teachers some off time a well-deserved off time vacation time that they deserve times a million and i'll tell you why in a second so we didn't scramble i'm out of work so i just said i'll suck it up i'll watch the kid no problem I'll, I'll squeeze in the show and the podcast where I can. No, there's no squeezing. There was no gaps, no spaces. It, this was this was wall to wall action. This was from sun up to sundown and then some. So uh, yeah, I watched Bree, and there was a lot of uh, so I, I, you know I'm the kind of father. I'm not a great father. I'll put that out there. Not a bad dad. Not yet. Not a deadbeat dad. Um, but I do. You know, I, t I tend to be like, all right, enough is enough. I let the TV do the work. And I know screen time is like the devil, according to a lot of parents. But there's just a point where it's like, I, I need to do some work here. And of course, compounding this feeling was the fact that I've gone from Memorial Day weekend to that last week in August, job searching. I'm with Sans Job. No employed, I'm not employed, not gainfully employed. And this show, um, not raking in the cash just yet. So uh, I've been applying to jobs. How many, you ask? I actually did the numbers, crunched the numbers last night. 144 jobs. Take a wild guess how many offers I've received from those 144 applications. No offers just yet. I have heard back from a handful, maybe a little less than a handful, maybe like a baby handful, if you will. And uh, so I've heard it's been crickets for most of July, most of August. You know, I had something going on in June, didn't pan out. They just said they want to go in a different direction. I'm like, well, I'm facing north. Where are you headed? South? You a bird? What's going on? So uh, 
a bunch of companies got back to me. It was like everyone woke from their summer slumber and was like, oh, Neil Lynch's resume looks good, looks qualified. Let's reach out to him. Let's reach out to him the one week he cannot focus on the job search. The week he's watching his daughter, his baby daughter. So three phone interviews, possibly four. I can't remember at this point, but this is two weeks ago. And so I, I'm, I need Bria. I need to like... This is like ultimate. You want to talk about scheduling, arranging, coordinating. This this takes that to another level because I gotta like I gotta time her naps. She's supposed to be going from two naps to one nap. That's not happening. So I gotta get those two naps in <laughs> with her so I can make these phone calls and and appear as if I have my uh, my act together. So when she's awake, you know, and I'm trying to prep for these interviews because I can't, you know. I'm a multitasker, but that's tough to like you prep for the interview. Like she can't, she can't fire questions. She can't pepper me with questions as much as I wish she could. So she's in the, we got like a, eh, we call it the jail. It looks like a jail. It looks like a, you know, not to get political or anything, but it looks like where the, the, the migrant children are detained pretty much, you know, no offense. Uh, that's a horrible situation, but this is what it looks like. Um, but it's set up in front of the TV. So I'm like, I'm going to plop her down in this playpen. And this, this is, I mean, <laughs> you know, my mother did this with me and I turned out to be a giant mess. So <laughs> might not be the best approach, but you got to do what you got to do. So I plop her down in the playpen and I got the TV on in front of her. And uh, I'm like, you know, oh, I don't know what to put on YouTube kids. Is that still a thing? I've heard some sketchy things about it. Like stuff pops up where you don't want it to. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go PlayStation view. I'm going to do a little search, and I saw Baby TV. So I, I click on Baby TV, and it looks like a bootleg version of a W of a VHS cassette from, like, the 80s. It's like, how is this a channel? I don't think this is legal. This is definitely not street legal. So I watched that for a couple minutes, and I'm like, I don't know. Bree's getting into it, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't want you getting too attached to this, all right? Luckily, there's another station right above it, and it's called Baby First TV. No free ads. This is a shameless plug, but that the station, it's got its act together, more so than Baby TV, I'll tell you that much. It looks like it's from this century, so that's good. And it has a, a couple of different shows, which I like, a couple that are interesting, to say the least. There's one called Meow Meow, Meow Meow, and it's like claymation. And and this the theme song is meow 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 meow. I mean, you know, you want to talk about getting a job? I need to get a job in children's programming, children's TV. That looks like a lot of fun. (laughs) Not a lot of work, not a lot of stress. Just make sure you educate here and there. Here's a color. Here's a shape. Here's a number. You're good to go. Meow meow. I don't know. I mean, meow meow. I like this thing. Looks like it's should be belongs on baby TV. Or maybe even pre-baby TV because it looks like it's from the 60s or 70s. Like a couple of guys, a couple of people, a couple, married couple got like, was just on LSD. It was like, here's some clay. We're going to try and entertain our kid. We'll, we'll throw on a camera, stop animation, like boom, done. That, was, that one was a little weird. I have to say that much. Um, what else is it? I mean, there are a bunch of uh, other different shows, but uh, the, the commercials... I don't know what my fascination is with commercials. Uh, when I was in grad school, I wrote a, uh, my thesis was on Super Bowl commercials. 
you know, dumb. But uh, the commercials. There's a commercial for a baby phone. No, dude. And I get it because, uh, you know, Brie will see me, my daughter will see me playing on, you know, not playing, on my phone. I'm doing important stuff. Twitter is important. It's not. Um, but she'll see that and she'll, she wants it. She wants it. She wants to be like us. Stars, they're just like us. Parents are just like us, right, babies? So she, she wants the phone and she, uh, sometimes I'll give her the phone. I'll be like, yeah, go ahead. Are you going to call China? China? Um... Uh, that was supposed to be Trump. I think that's Australian. So she'll grab my phone. She'll play around with it. And I'm like, I'm like, cool with it at first. And then I'm thinking, oh, she's going to hit the emergency thing. And then the cops will show up. And then they'll be like, why is the baby in jail? You know, the whole thing. So uh, <laughs> they have a commercial for baby phones. So I was like, you know, at first you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, do we really want to introduce our kids to this crippling technology? Do not mistake me. Do not get it twisted. Cell phones, laptop screens. I have five. I have three screens in front of me right now. It's it's insane. We we don't need to introduce the kids to that just right off the bat. Just let them ease into that. Thirteen sounds like a good age. I don't know, but they have a commercial for a baby phone, <laughs> and I don't know why this throws me off. And this is probably gonna date me. I wouldn't date me. I am a cheap date, but uh, the the mother in the in the baby phone commercial has just sleeve tattoos. Now, hear me out. I have nothing against sleeve tattoos. One of my friends, good friends from college, has a huge sleeve tattoo. It looks badass. It's got like some Star Wars stuff in there, and you know, it's it, Nintendo. It looks great. You know who I'm talking about if you went to college with me. Hopefully you do. If you were in my fraternity. Yeah, I was in a fraternity. Sue me. Like, we didn't know. We didn't do any of that stuff. Um, the fraternity does not exist anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I was there, I don't know. We didn't do anything bad. So, um, oh, so the mother with the sleeve tats. It, it throws you off at first. <laughs> it definitely is jarring. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a mother with sleeve tats in the commercial. It just throws you off. It's just jarring. It's something that I need to get. It's something on me, people. That's something I need to work through. I need to get through on my own. Another commercial that I saw that always plays on this on this channel, this network, is the Love Sack commercial, which uh, when I went down, if you watched the video or heard the episode of me, about me going down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that area, to visit my sister and, and brother-in-law, they have a Love Sack couch, and it is humongous. And it, it takes up almost the entire living room, but it is amazing. So comfortable. Uh, like, we almost fell asleep during John Wick 3 Parabellum, which scientifically... I think scientists have said it's impossible, but we almost fell asleep during John Wick 3 because of the love sack. And you get the hypnotic gunshots from John Wick coming at you. It's very rhythmic and methodical, and, and then you're, you're, you're sipping on some nice uh, uh, teats and sewed, and it's like, yeah, I'm going off. See you later. But the love sack commercial... The music choice for this thing was outrageous. And I, I don't know if this is like a new wave 
you know, of commercial making, but I'm used to watching like, you know, I watch footballs on Sunday and Saturday. I watch, you know, Netflix where there are no commercials, but most of the commercials I see not like these commercials. I'm very, I'm very, you know, discombobulated. <sighs> the Love Sack commercial has like Christian EDM music. I'll let that sit in for a second and let you form your own you get there on your own first, and then I'll try to help you bridge the gap. Okay. We all know EDM. Got a sick beat. But there's like this 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 um creed wannabe singer in the background. It's a it's a couch, dude. It's a couch. Why is there EDM or Christian EDM singing about couches? Well, my daughter loves it. Every time it comes on, the EDM hits, that the, the beat drops. Bria's just like, whoa, the Molly's kicking in. <laughs> Insane. I, you know, I, I, hopefully if I have time, I'll try and splice in the commercial into the video if I can. Probably not. Um, but yeah, outrageous love sack. I still want one. It makes me want one more. I mean, they, the family in that was having a ball. But, uh... Yeah, it costs like an insane amount of money. It's like, how about you show me the love, love sack, sponsor the show, and I'll uh, I'll plug you every other hour. Um, and then finally, <laughs> Zoom Beanie. I don't know if you're familiar with Zoom Beanie. I assume it's a t like a twist on Zumba. I think Zumba is a thing, but I think that's for adults. And so Zumbini is kind of like the kids version of Zumba, I guess. Wildly popular, I believe. I think they give the impression that's wildly unpopular. Like they're like, sign up. You want more? Sign up for classes near you. Blah blah. And it's pretty. It's it is kind of cool. I've watched it, and it's like it kind of gets the you know breeze into it. She's like getting into it, moving, grooving. The instructor, though. Uh, you know, I'm wearing an age where you're not supposed to shame, not supposed to make fun, not supposed to tease. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to paint you a picture. Have you ever seen Maria Shriver? If you don't know if I'm talking about it, pause. Google Maria Shriver. She used to be married to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think they're married anymore after he did the thing with the maid. Um, but she's got, she's got a look to her. Um, Arnold was, in, was into it at one point in his life. Um, not my cup of tea, but you know, whatever. This woman, the Zumbini instructor, <laughs> looks like Maria Shriver. And I'm not going to use the word haunting. It's a, like the mother with the sleeve tattoos. It's a little jarring. The look is the look. You know, I can get over that. But then the behavior, the way that she acts... I mean, I understand you're dealing with kids. You got to be exaggerated. You got to pull all this blippy stuff where you got to be wide eyed. You got to be over. Yeah, I get it. But this is scary. This is in the wrong direction. This is not entertaining. This is scary. This is uh, you're inducing fear. Very intense. And you can I mean, she seems, hmm, you, you know, you don't want to make snap judgments. People judge me. You can judge me if you want. I don't care. I, you know, my, my wife is very anti-judgment most of the time, so she will scold me for this. This woman is intense. This woman looks like she works out nonstop. 
not an ounce of fat on this woman. And I, I, I mean, the Zoom meeting class that they air on this station is maybe a song's length. I'm going to say like two, three minutes, five max could be off. I can't imagine spending any more time with that woman. Now, she's successful. Godspeed to her. Uh, uh, good on you. Congratulations. You've done amazing things. The coffee maker's done. In case you're wondering what that beeping is, it's not a time bomb. No coffee left in the cup. Amazing. Intense. Intensities. I mean, uh, just like, and I don't know how the kids aren't crying their faces off. I almost cried. A tear came to my eye because I was like, what is this woman about to do? Is she about to start stabbing? Just very, just like, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and just like, and Bree doesn't sense the danger. Bree's dancing and clapping, and I'm like, you got to protect yourself. Good thing this is on TV and not in live, a live forum. And of course, you know, I'm already off the rails here. I'm already off track, so we might as well go even further. Brielle, my daughter, had her checkup with the, with the doctor yesterday. Take her to the doctor, and this is like my worst nightmare. I've already forgotten the diaper bag. You're supposed to bring the diaper bag just in case something goes down in the doctor's office. You can change the diaper right there. So I had to go pick her up at daycare. I asked them for a spare. Hey, sir, can you spare a diaper? Like uh, some homeless parent. Eh, can you spare a diaper? <laughs> Luckily, they had diapers. So they gave me a diaper, gave me some wipes, and I was on my way. I take her to the doctor, and, and, and I don't mind waiting in a doctor's office by myself waiting in a doctor's office a pediatrician's office with a one-year-old who will not stop exploring discovering moving it, you know it's my worst nightmare and so i'm trying to corral her i'm trying to distract her with her little snuggle puppy love blanket thing and this older woman comes out and I'm in, we're in the reading room and, and, and it, if you're i mean i understand doctor's offices you know Nothing goes to plan and things happen, and but like pediatrician office has to be like a well-oiled machine. Like to have like kids waiting is just that's tough. That's tough. Maybe even maybe give some padding on the appointments so that everything's just like rolls into the next. I don't know. (laughs) I'm no scheduling whiz, but just a thought. This older woman comes out. And her, I mean, like, immediately as soon as the door opens, her eyes see Brielle, and she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she walks towards Brielle and is firing questions at me. She's shooting me questions that are rhetorical. I didn't think they were rhetorical. I'm trying to answer them. It was like talking to my mom. My mom does this on text, which is even worse. She, I don't think she does it in person that much. You know, and, and so, but in text, it's just like one bubble, one speech bubble, 15 questions. Like, can we just space it out a little bit? Now I got to scroll to your first question, answer in order. I can't answer out of order. It's, it's stressful. <laughs> this woman is doing that IRL. She's coming full force at me, at the baby, and just the questions that deserve answers. I have the answers and I'm trying to give you the answers and you are not hearing it. Like, is she walking in? Is she talking in? And I'm just like, you know, she's like trying to touch her. And I'm like, yeah, lady, I do not know you. 
and maybe there's like you're an older woman so i don't know if there's like god forbid the dimension element to this whole process or alzheimer's kicking in but like i don't know you you are a stranger and when my daughter is also cowering <laughs> and kind of backing off from you that's a bad sign she loves everyone so this woman is very aggressive very assertive all over the baby touching her grabbing her hands and like can you know da, 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 da. and eventually she's like do you mind at all and, and i feel like saying yeah dude yeah i mind you are all over my cot my kid right now get off my kid <laughs> um and it didn't help that I, j I had just seen a video of like a random woman stabbing kids in the face on a sidewalk. That's a video online. And I saw it. Didn't want to see it, but it came in my feed and I saw it. And it's just like, oh, well, now I can't let my kid around anyone, family included. <sighs> so, yeah. This, uh, I go, no, no, I don't mind. But I'm giving off the, uh, my face says, yeah. I mind, but my, my mouth says, no, I don't mind. So she kind of like takes her a little bit. And then her daughter comes out with her granddaughter who's on crutches. Who's like, I don't know, gotta be like eight, nine, 10, maybe 11. I don't know. In that age range, tweenish, pre-tweenish. I don't know. And so they kind of like, you know, eventually she lets Brielle go. Thank God. And she, Brielle walks off to where the, the toys are and the, in the corner and the thing. And she's still, you know, asking me questions that she doesn't want answers to. If you wanted answers to them, you'd let me answer them. But you don't. So you're just going to pepper me with questions. So her daughter comes out, granddaughter comes out, and, like, I'm just trying to, like, Brielle's now running frantically around the room because she's like, I'm free! And so the mother, then, as the door's closing, is like, uh, this is my baby to me. And I just, and I, I said on my breath, I don't give a fuck, lady. Get out of my life. <laughs> Sorry that your kid had whatever happened that they're on the crutches, but I'm just trying to get through this appointment. Got a lot of stuff, feelings, emotions, thoughts going through my body and my head and my mind. Get out of my life forever. <laughs> I don't care that that's your baby. Sorry, I know that's the zero empathy on my part, but it's like, I, I'm, this is already a stressful situation. I'm not good with confrontation. I'm trying to work on that. And so finally they call in Brielle. They're not, they're like probably 10 minutes late, you know, go in and she's just, there's two signs taped. Like why the signs are taped to where a toddler can reach? Are we not using our brains, people? use some logic on this one so she's just trying to tear this sign that's taped a, a very important sign it's colored in a way that's like hey pay attention to me and it says very important words on it i didn't read it but there's two of them and they're right in toddler's reach right in breeze reach and it's like can we just put that up somewhere not within her reach so she's trying to tear those down trying to tell her no which is pointless she, she thinks it's a game and um Oh, man. She gets checked out. Everything's good. 77th percentile height, 88th percentile weight. Are we feeding her enough? Yeah, we're feeding her enough. And, I, you know, I ask her all the questions we have. We have a million questions, and everything's pretty much normal. You know, I can't wait for this chick to talk, basically. It's like, just, just talk it out. These gestures, I'm not getting it. She's doing, you know, she's doing this, pointing to her wrist. Like, do you want to watch? Are you OBJ now? 
you want to watch? Like, what am I? So I can't wait for her to talk, essentially. It's got a little bit of a, and there's another issue, but not anything bad. And then come the shots. Chicken pox, MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. I think I always get the last one wrong. 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 I get the last one wrong. Last one wrong. And then um, flu. So I was like, maximum, we could do maximum three shots. Anything about that. And I think I think I could go away for a very long time. <laughs> and so they do the one shot. And I was like, and I apologized to her. I looked at her and I said, hey, this is not going to be great for you. I apologize. So I had to like, you know, get her on lockdown. Like I was working in a psych ward, <laughs> trying to bear hug my own daughter. And they do one on the thigh and they do one on each arm. And it's, it takes her a second. Like she's just looking around and she's had shots before. So she's like kind of connecting the dots. Like this looks, this looks familiar. And then all of a sudden the, all the needles hit and she's just like, and it just takes like one, two, three. And it's just like, Ooh! And she's just scared for her life. It's a tough moment for a parent, for sure. Definitely. We had her first birthday party. Um, okay, so that was two weeks ago. Okay. I'm, I have to watch Brielle. Plus, I got all these phone interviews I got to prep for, tests I have to do. So that's two weeks ago. Last week is just, so that was, what, Labor Day weekend? We went down to the shore, went down to Asbury Park, walked the boardwalk. It's the first time I've ever been to the Asbury Park boardwalk. I saw where they shot the Sopranos, which, which was pretty cool. Um, and we had a blast. We ended up watching a couple movies, which I'll get to in a little bit. But so last week, Monday, Labor Day, that's a lost day. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's a blur. But then in-person interview Tuesday in the city in-person interview on wednesday in the city thursday i gotta do this test for another potential employer and these tests are no joke no joke i mean i i mean my brain is mush at this point trying to strategize you know through all these different scenarios and elements and channels and whatnot so up till three in the three in the morning thursday going into Friday doing this test because Friday we got to prep for this friggin' birthday party, dude. So that's why there's no show last week and no show two weeks ago, the birthday party. Brie is one years old, one years, 365 days. It's a fish. We made it folks. We did it. We can quit now. I like how that's, that's kind of like the feeling everyone has is like, he did it. The first year you did it. Now you can just f fuck off. It's like, what? You can just like, like forget how to parent. I don't know. It just, that's the vibe I get, but uh, it's good. I, I got to learn how to accept congratulations. And, and, uh, so that was good getting those congratulations. We, we've done well so far, I think. Um, but m my wife wanted to go all out for this birthday party, all out. And uh, I was against it. I was like, let's save our money. <laughs> She's not going to remember shit. Okay. Her memory, not great. And yes, we can have photos and videos and she can look back fondly on those at some point down the line. But let's, go, let's not go nuts in the event that she has some kind of crazy memory. 
What are we going to do at two, at three, at four? Luckily, I think this is just a one-time deal for the first birthday until she gets to 16, I hope, <laughs> or 13. I don't know. Do they throw parties for your first period? Yeah, you know, Neil, stupid. But my wife got a bouncy house and a snow cone machine. It was between a snow cone machine and the popcorn machine. I couldn't have both. I'm a popcorn guy. We'll always love popcorn. But when you're trying to plan for a party and it's a thousand degrees outside you're like who's gonna who's gonna have hot popcorn you're not thinking about the weather in september which is different we get that that fake fall someone posted like all the different seasons and it's like it's not just spring fall winter summer there's a fake fall in there where you think summer's over and then you get like a second dose of summer and i think that's happening right now so this, this was the, the fake fall. You know, this, the, the aroma is there. You smell it. But it's, it's a false flag. So we went with the snow cone machine because we're like, oh, it'll be hot as balls out. Like, people want ice. And, of course, it was like 72 degrees. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> my wife, in a certain degree, me, we didn't realize that you need ice for the snow cone machine. That we have to provide the ice. We, for somehow thought like they give us the ice and the ice is with included with the snow cone machine not the case so it kind of had to do a little there's always the ice scramble for parties did you did you notice that always you think of everything except the ice and then you get the ice and you're like we're set and then you need more ice it's there's never enough ice and that is one hell of a racket by the way the ice racket get into that game quick and, and early it's frozen water, and we're getting charged at the friggin' ass for it. Water's free everywhere except in frozen form. Bags of ice costing too much money, dude. Five five dollars? I don't know. So yeah, I had to man the snow cone machine, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a great time. It was a good time. But the manning the snow cone machine, it's like I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a big, it's a big box looking thing. And you're like, Whoa. you do one run, like a trial run. And it fills up like a little circle on, in this huge, vast box. And you're like, I gotta, I gotta fill this whole thing. No, thanks. And, uh, all I was thinking, and they give you, <laughs> This guy comes at the worst possible time because, like, Cassie had to run out, and I'm trying to, like, power wash the decks even though we don't have a power washer. And this guy comes from this company, and he's like, where do you want everything? I was like, I have no idea, dude. I am not running the show in this operation. The foreman is off somewhere. And he's like, okay, well, we'll just show you how to work the snow cone machine. I'm like, okay, great. And he's like, and here's the flavoring. And he hands me a jug. Big old jug, bigger than a gallon of milk, and it's filled with just grape flavoring. I'm like, did we ask for grape? No offense to grape. Grape is a great flavor. Love grape. But there are other flavors, possibly other better flavors. Did we choose grape? Did we get a choice? We're just getting grape. All right. I'll roll with the punches. Hopefully everyone else loves grape. I'm not picky, but children can be. Hands me a jug, bigger than a gallon of milk. And I'm like, whoa, 
And he goes, how many people are coming to your party? And I was like, I don't know, 20, 25. We tried to keep it small. Then people didn't, sh- you know, it, it got out of hand. Apologies to anyone who wasn't invited. I'm sorry. Started off as a family thing. Then it became family and these friends. But then we're like, we invite these friends. Then we have to invite, these. you know, it's that kind of thing. Gets to the point where, like, all of a sudden, it's like, it's our wedding all over again. We're going to invite 180 people? Come on. It's just a first, it's a kid's birthday party. Please don't be mad. Um, so I said 20, 25 people. He goes, okay, well, this jug will feed 200 people. Why are you giving me a jug, dude? And my assumption was, you're going to take back this jug. And he's like, uh, yeah, we'll be back around 7 to 10 p.m. And I was like, okay, it's kind of weird. Baby will be asleep. It will be dark. They might have people call the cops on you. And he's like, but uh, just in case, like, are you cool if we come back on Sunday? And I'm like, hey, man, I get it. You like to party. I like to party. We're having a party. It's a kid's party, but I'm going to get a little, I'm going to up the ante. So I was like, yeah, cool. Well, they came back at 7 to 10, didn't take the jug. Now, we would have had to have every single person at this party eat 10 goddamn snow cones for this flavoring to pay off. We have a whole jug of grape. If anyone wants grape flavoring, come on down. We got a surplus. We're trying to liquidate this freaking grape flavoring because it's out of control. I mean, you look at I mean, there's actually a watermark. You know, like after Hurricane Sandy, there's uh, you go to Leggett's and they have like the watermark, like the water was this high. Um, not trying to make light of it. It's just facts are facts. They have a watermark. There's a there's a grape water. There's a grape flavoring mark on this jug that takes up maybe half an inch. And then there's just 10 to 15 inches of grape flavoring. What the hell are we going to You know, luckily we have this like homemade popsicle kit. We're like, I guess we can make popsicles. But ay ay ay, yeah. So that was that was bonkers. Um, what I didn't, what I failed to mention in my last episode, episode seven, was that I had my three year wedding anniversary on August twentieth. Um, I got my my wife a nice uh, jacket of the leather kind. You know, Peta. You know, if you want to come at me, Peta, go ahead. I mean, you know, what are you gonna get out of me? I'm sorry. Leather happens. I'm not endorsing it. I just. I don't know. That's what the traditional gift is for three years of marriage. Leather. Who comes up with this bullshit? I have no idea. So, leather jacket and uh, some flowers, which I, you know, every time I say I'm not going to do flowers. Flowers are dumb. Flowers are way too expensive. They last maybe a week, even if you tend to them, take care of them, which I tried. I mean, you should see the shit I was putting in this water. I mean, I, I Googled it, and it's like, put coins in the put coins in it uh okay put aspirin in it feels like a joke but okay there's like eight to ten things that you can put in it put in this the vase of water to keep these flowers chugging none of it worked i think it accelerated the death to be honest i mean the beautiful flowers they were sunflowers because that's uh it's fitting for my wife first of all but second of all, it's also like the three-year wedding anniversary flower. Again, who comes up with this stuff? Would love to know that. Like, is that guy getting paid and laid? Like, is royalties? Is it a woman? Like, what's the deal? I need the story behind all this garbage. 
So yeah, Sunflower, which I also like the Post Malone song Sunflower, and I know most of you probably just clicked away because you're like Post Malone. Yeah, well, get over it. I, I like Post Malone. Sorry, guilty pleasure. You're a sunflower. You're a sunflower. I don't know. I don't know. Hits a chord. Anyway, we had our date night. It was that uh, Labor Day weekend. Was it Labor Day weekend? I don't know, dude. No, it was the weekend after the last episode, which I failed to mention my anniversary. Happy anniversary. Three-year anniversary to my wife. We went on a date night. And we went to a place that, uh, you know, I like, I like to yelp here and there. You know, you can take the reviews or you can leave the reviews. Take it or leave it. I took them. And there's a place called Cooper, Copper, John D.B. Cooper's, Coppersmith's. I don't know. One of those kind of, you know, wholesome American traditional names. Had some pretty good reviews. So we go there. And I'm like, oh, I got to make a reservation. And then I'm like, oh, but, you know, the movie, I forgot that the movie starts at this time. So we're going to have to move the reservation up. So I got to cancel the reservation in order to make another reservation online, which is just bananas. Just let me edit the current reservation and put a limit on how many times you can edit it or something. Don't make me have to cancel the reservation to make a new reservation. Come on, dude. So I have to cancel the reservation to make a reservation that's like 15 minutes earlier. Like, come on. Get there. <laughs> There's no one there. I didn't have to make a reservation. You know? At some point, you should just be like, you know what, dude? Don't even bother. The computer should literally just be like, close itself and be like, you're all right. Trust me. We get there. No one's there. And it stinks. I mean, maybe because it was just the weekend that it is and maybe people are down at the shore or away. And, uh, you know, I, I understand most of that. But the food there was amazing. I think it's the location. The location, it's it's like literally off of a highway, across from a gas station. Yeah. Not exactly date night material, and I apologize in advance. Totally forgot that that's where it was. But, you know, we had the short rib nachos, or pot roast nachos, truffled deviled eggs, just really great stuff. Strip steak, crab stuff, flounder. I mean, just, I'm getting hungry thinking about it. It's almost lunchtime. Ooh. And, of course, my wife, Cass, she orders a spicy margarita. Here's a fun fact, or here's a pro tip. Don't order spicy stuff if you can't handle the spice. That's it. And I know that stinks for people who appreciate the mildly spicy stuff. No. Don't get, don't, you can't dip your toe into the spice game. You gotta dive, you gotta belly flop in that shit. You gotta love spice. So, of course, she orders a spicy margarita, and it is en fuego. Way too spicy. And, I'm, and I, ordered, I ordered just a normal beer, like a blonde ale. You know, I like my beers. I like, I like my wife, blonde. Not that she has to keep coloring her hair. She doesn't. She can go brown if she wants. It, it's just a color. Who cares? Anyway, so I'm like, here you go. You know, typical move, like, I'm now falling on the sword. I got to sacrifice my beer. Here you go. You can have my blonde ale, not spicy. I'll take the hellaciously spicy margarita, and I'll and I'll power through it. It makes it. It actually does give me somewhat some level of satisfaction to be able to do that, because I know that like if like someone's coming at it with a gun or a knife, it's like I'm gonna try my best, but it's not gonna be. I don't see a great end result. I'm not gonna like Superman that hoe. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not gonna be able to defend you and like chuck him into you know the into outer space. Like I'm it's, ugh, I'm doing my best, but this feels uh, I feel like a hero when I take her spicy margarita and she takes my blonde ale. 
So we go to see the movie. Reserve seats. The seats actually work, which is like, hallelujah, brother. And we go to a bar afterwards because, you know, my wife is like, you know, I don't want to go back yet. The night is still young. And I'm like, but we're not. <laughs> you know, we're, I mean, she's not, you know, I am, but she's not. She's young and, and spry. And so she wants to stay out. And so we go to a bar afterwards. We go to this one place down the street from us. And what stinks is when you get to a bar, it's not like a crazy bar. It's not where all the youngins hang out. It's not, you know, college age folks. It's like probably older than us. Um, that kind of crowd. It's not crowded at all. It's like an hour before closing time or something like that. We just want a drink. And what stinks is when you get to a bar, you're like, all right, got, got my elbow space. There's TVs playing what I want to watch, or I can ask them to play what I want to watch. Got my elbow space. It looks like it's fairly quiet, not raucous, not out of control. I mean, <laughs> it's the complete opposite of what I wanted in my 20s. Um, and you're like, all right. And you settle in, you take a seat, and you're like, yeah, this is pretty nice. And then you, you, you order your drink. The bartender makes your drink, brings a drink, and as soon as she sets the drink down, you smell vomit. And you're like, ah. Normal people, people who don't give a fuck, would be like, screw this place. It smells like vomit. Not paying for that drink. We're out of here. Or maybe leave a tip and be like, gone. But nope. <laughs> just sat there bathing in this vomit smell, this barf aroma. <laughs> so disgusting. And we're like, but there's that point where you're like, is it vomit? Did someone, and you're trying to, and then there's the like, okay, so you smell a vomit-like smell, and you're like, there, you have to confirm, is it vomit? And you're kind of looking at each other like, yeah, you're, sn you're smell testing it. And you're like, yeah, that's vomit. But then it's like, where is it smell? Where is it coming from? Where is it? What is it? Where is it? How did it happen? Who did it? It's like a murder mystery, uh, in a sense. I don't see it taking off like murder mystery dinner parties. I don't think there's going to be like vomit smell mystery parties, but... You're trying to locate it. You're trying to find it, and you don't find it, and that's what's most frustrating. That 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 consumes your night. Because if you can just locate it and be like, okay, we're this way, or we need to go that way, you can move, relocate, enjoy yourself. Not not the case here. It just was everywhere, and we couldn't figure it out. And our bartender, God bless her. I'm not trying to shame. Not trying to judge. But she even admitted to us, she's coming off a very long shift. <laughs> So she just says, I'm like 12, 14 hours. I was like, is this place even open that long? But yeah, she looked tired. And I mean, I mean, when you have to repeat your order three times and you're one of like six customers, it's like, all right, come on, take a, take a nap, go home. I mean, uh, you know, I'll tip you to go home, get some, get some Z's. But like the, the, the people that were working there just didn't want to work there anymore. It's like, it's an hour before closing time. Like, just leave us alone. And so I posed a very innocent question. They had something like six TVs, maybe more. None of them were playing the Mets, okay? They had a Cowboys-Texans preseason game, possibly. The News or something else on another uh, TV. The Jets preseason game against, I think, the Saints or something like that. No Mets. I think they had the Yankees on one, one channel, and I'm like... 
I mean, you know, I mean, this is, you know, it speaks to what America wants. They want football. They don't want baseball. But I was like, just asked the bartender very quietly, hey, um, would you mind putting the Mets on one of these TVs? Preferably this one, if possible. And I pointed right in front of me. And the one right in front of me is not playing the Jets. I think it might have been a preseason game. It definitely wasn't the Yankees. It was a channel you could change. It was a show no one's watching. I guarantee it. And so she's like, I, it's like I just asked her, what is the square root of pi? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm talking Mandarin at this point. So she tries to, she's like looking at the TV as if she could change the channel with her mind. Okay, good luck with that. Eventually she goes to get help. The help comes over. She's like, I got this. You know, this this woman, a lot of confidence. Or maybe just, just irritable and was like, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever and make it go away. So she changes the channel on the TV next to us. That has the Jets game. Changes it to the Mets. The guy next to us is with his wife. I don't know. I'm sure they're nice people. Maybe they're having a rough night. But like... The the woman with him is just loud, and, and and just stating obvious things and repeating the obvious things. You ever talk, you ever be around someone like that? Like the bartender is like, I gotta change the channel. She says to herself, she's not talking to her. She's talking to herself. I gotta change the channel or something like that. She just says it on her way around, and the woman's like, What? Why do you need? What do you want me to do? I don't need to do anything. What? And it's just like. Like you don't, you're, no one's talking to you. Mind your biz, and that's what that's like the kind of relationship that, that couple has. Because my homie, my dude sitting next to Cassie, uh, is focused on this week three Jets preseason game. Laser focus, honed in. He can't miss a snap of this week three Jets preseason game in the fucking third quarter, dude. We're like guys that are gonna be at. Home Depot next weekend are now playing. What, you, what insights are you drawing from this? This I mean, it was the late third quarter. What are you pulling from this? And I get it. I want to watch. I, I try to record every Giants game, even preseason games. And then you start to watch the Giants preseason game or any preseason game. And you get into the, like the third quarter and you're like, no one cares. The broadcasters don't care. The players don't care. Like, it's just like... <laughs> That this guy, he was all in on Jets week three preseason. What are you culling from this game at this point? So the wife is like loudly, and then she's turning to us and kind of talking at us, like at no one in general, but then at us, like, oh, I thought she was talking to me. I thought I thought she was talking to me. And it's like, you know, we we can make that jump. Not hard to understand. We saw it happen right in front of us. You thought she was talking to you. You don't have to announce it and then repeat it, dude. <sighs> so she changes, the bartender gets someone else to change the channel on the wrong TV, the Jets game. He loses his shit. He loses his mind. Meanwhile, the other rest of the bar is like, hell yeah, the Mets, let's go Mets. The Jets guy, Jets fan, like stands on his stool. You know that move where you're on the bar stool? And you don't stand up on the floor, but you get extra leverage and height by standing on the rung of the bar stool <laughs> to look down on the person you're yelling at. That guy did this, which is a power move, and I appreciate that. And he's shouting down, and he goes, I was here first, bro. 
And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I just caused, if this devolves into a bar brawl because I just wanted to watch the Mets blow another late inning game, I don't know how I'm going to live with myself. This is all my fault. You want to talk about butterfly effect? If I don't ask the bartender to change the channel to the Mets game, none of this is happening. Fortunately, nothing did happen. But I, I can't imagine the aftermath. I, I would never ask to change a channel on a TV ever again. It, it always causes problems. And you, you'd think I'd remember that. I've, I've been in the game. I've been to a ton of sports bars. You'd think I'd know by now. Don't ask to change a channel. You're going to piss off the wrong guy. Nine times out of ten, it's the wrong guy. And you're going to have to hear about it. The guy chirping the entire time. Can't believe you turned it off. What the fuck? And you hear the reasoning behind it. I didn't get to hear his reason. I would have loved to hear his reason. The Mets are in the middle. We're, we're smack dab in the middle of a friggin' wild card race that's coming down to the exact last week, last day of the season. You want to watch Jets Week 3 preseason. Get the F out of here. Oh, brother. So, yeah. That was, uh, that's our past two weeks. Kind of a whirlwind, to be honest. So let's move on to TV. Now that we've got that out of our system and I've done my little rant, haven't watched a lot of TV outside of children's TV. Seems to be a pattern. Um, but we have been watching Mindhunter season two. It premiered on August 16th, I believe. It's been a while since we've seen our cast of characters in this show. Season one, and they, they Netflix dumps it all at once. There's no, although they're looking to move to weekly, which I don't know. I prefer binging just because that's the kind of personality I am. I like to binge. Would you like one drink? No, I want a thousand. Um, so uh, the season one premiered October 2017. So it's been a while. It's been almost two years. And um, I'll say this. When you have a, when you do have the binge shows, binge-worthy shows, you pump them out in like a day or like a week at the most. And then you go a year, possibly even two years before you get another season. Can we get better recap videos, dude, Netflix, whoever produces binge series? Give us a better recap. You can't recap an entire season that's been off the air for off the air. Hasn't been around for two years in two minutes, dude. Give us a ten, I'm okay with a 10 minute recap. Give me, give me a one minute recap per episode from season one in a, in a somewhat cohesive, entertaining manner. Don't give me don't give me a trailer for season one. I've already seen season one. I just need little reminders, dude. The recap videos have got to be better. I mean, I'm, I, it's, I mean, I'm complaining. I got a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm being spoiled, but because at least they offer recap videos, just be better at it. It's constructive criticism. So I was completely lost. I mean, because the recap video did nothing for me. Just like uh, the season, Stranger season, Stranger Things season three. Like the season two recap, you're like, I still don't know. I completely forget who that kid's name is, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're playing the episode. The first episode, you're just playing catch up. And, and if you're with someone like my wife who loves to ask questions and I do not, I love her to death and I do not want her to stop that because it's a very nice personality quirk that I love, but she likes to ask questions. 
like, who is that again? What's happening? Oh, he's doing what? Who's this? You know, and it's just like, so episode one is a lot of pause, answer, play, pause, answer, play. Episode one takes about 10 hours to get through. <laughs> but once you do that, it's good. And Netflix, you could solve that if you just gave us a better recap video. Anyway, so uh, I completely forgot that Holden Ford, our man, which Holden Ford, by the way, looks exactly like Dennis Reynolds from Always Sunny. I can't get that out of my head. Kylie Minogue, 2001. Cannot get it out of my head. He looks exactly like Dennis Reynolds. And the knowing what happened with Dennis Reynolds in Always Sunny, how he started off as like he's this charismatic, handsome guy, and then he slowly de descends into madness, and you see that he's actually like a sociopath slash psychopath. I feel like that is going to happen with Holden Ford. Like he already has that kind of demeanor of being kind of he feels and looks like the guys he's interviewing the serial killers he's 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 uh spitting uh, cues at i'm 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 like convinced that's gonna happen he's gonna be like it all makes sense now and just start murdering everyone so uh, i forgot that he like has panic attacks because of ed kemper um and he's got a new boss, and then you find out the old boss was uh, did not retire voluntarily. He was forced to retire. The new boss reminds me of he's got like a Lex Luthor type thing going on, where the the bald shaved head, but he looks exactly like the actor from Californication. I think I didn't really watch the whole series, but like the shaved bald head who like is always like. <laughs> And I was expecting this, and I didn't get it. But like the the character in California Fornication was always like, some not a, like a really that hand, no offense, but he's not going to win sexiest man alive. No offense, um, but he was always like, uh, quick witted and cracking jokes, but also like having sex and swearing, and you know it's Californication. So I was expecting that from this new boss, even though it's a totally different actor. I think it's not the same actor, but I'm like sitting there like, oh, here comes the wisecrack and here comes him getting a BJ. And it's like, no, dude, get you get out. So I have all these other shows infiltrating my psyche as I'm trying to enjoy a <laughs> murder. Jesus. Um, and uh, what I love about this series are the, the, the little vignettes where they show you glimpses of the, the BTK killer. Um, I love that. <laughs> I don't love it, but I think it was episode one, episode two, where they show him uh, doing autoerotic asphyxiation, and like you know, in in a, in a very interesting. I didn't, I never thought about the way he did it. I was like, oh, you, know, you always picture it like there's a belt and there's a like a closet where the hangers are, like that thing, and like that's where it's gonna happen. But he like did the doorknob. And like lean forward, and he's like looking at photos of his victims, and he's wearing like lingerie, and, and my wife just did not know what was going on. Like, what is? Oh, he's trying to kill himself. And I'm like, no, uh, not quite. <laughs> I mean, he could uh, by mistake for sure, but he's not trying to on purpose. It's a uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. And then you ex explain to your wife why you know of that. Luckily, I didn't even have to explain to her. She's like, oh, okay. Like, that's, yeah, I can see why you would know. It's like, why didn't you ask me how I know that? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, they interviewed Son of Sam, which the guy they got to play that. I think that was, I later found out, was uh, makeup and uh, prosthetics, but they, he looks exactly like Michael Berkowitz. Um, so it was interesting. Uh, that was an interesting interview. I, I got a lot out of that. Um, but the, the moment that guy got chills. So, you know, my reviews, the non-spoiler review is, I mean, watch it, <laughs> you know, if you haven't watched it, watch it. This is, these are for like people who've seen it. So we can just talk about it. Hey, have you seen it? Yeah. Great. It, that's how conversations go with me. Have you not seen it? I don't know what I can really talk about. I'm going to give you a lot of vague bullshit that like will try to make the show sound intriguing, but without giving you details, it just kind of sounds like I'm dancing around the issue. And it's like, maybe that'll get you interested. I don't know. When you can talk details, that's when you can really appreciate a series. So I'm just going to talk spoilers. So like, get over it. Look at the timestamps. That's that should be the name of the show, by the way. Timestamps. Um, but I got chills when. Okay, so at home, Bill Tench. By the way, Bill Tench. What a great name! Because you can you can, his last name is like the combination of tension and clench. And he, it looks like he's clenching and has tension the entire show. Even when he's somewhat relaxed and is like drinking and sharing stories about uh, crazy stories from his work at the party, there's still like something that's got him, you know, is holding on to him. It's the tension and he's clenching tension. I mean, great name. Is it a real guy? I don't know. You know, I don't get too deep into it. I don't know that I want to get too deep into it, but so his home life with his wife, which there's been some, you know, my, my cast, my wife always seems to empathize for the wife, you know, in the Sopranos, she empathizes with, uh, I already forgot her name. Jesus Christ. Carla, Carlita, Carlotta. Carm, Carmela, Jesus, wow. So she always seems to empathize with the wife. And so with this wife, you know, she has more, she gives the, the more rope, more leash, more leeway to the wives than she does the husbands, in my opinion. IMHO. So the wife is like, you can tell, she's just pissed that Tench is, is, is not at home to be with their kid, who I, I didn't realize was their adopted son. Completely forgot about that. Would have been a nice reminder in the recap video. Um, so the kid's, like, having trouble. And that's why, like, before I realized the kid was adopted, and not to say this is commonplace with all adoptions, but, like, I thought, okay, so this is a natural-born kid of the son of the, the, you know, Bill and his wife. Why is his relationship with Bill so weird? as if they are strangers or as if Bill did something incredibly traumatic to this kid. That's what the, the, that dynamic feels like. And then you find out he's adopted and is like, I guess that makes a little more sense. You know, you don't always feel as close as you would with your birth parents. I don't know. So that's what threw me off. But then you, the wife's all over Bill about like, you know, you gotta be here. This kid is about to go off the rails. And then you have the cop come, and he's investigating uh, a death, and you f and you slowly find out, oh, it's the son. The son's not directly responsible for it, but he's the one who like 
suggested this that actually prevented the kid from living. You know, the kid is so, and you know, has been, and this is where church, you know, church can be a dangerous thing. Faith, religion can be a dangerous thing. He thinks by putting this toddler on the cross will bring the toddler back to life. So I guess the toddler was already dead, and he wanted to bring the toddler back to life. And so he thought, you know, Jesus, hey, work with Jesus, should work with this kid. I mean, that's some pretty impressive kid logic, by the way, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> the fact that this six- or seven-year-old is like, you know what, I've seen this before. Yes, okay, I know exactly what to do. Happened to Jesus, and to be frank, I can't surprise more people don't try this. <laughs> and I know it's not funny. It's not funny. You shouldn't laugh at at, uh, at that, but like, eh, there's a little bit of humor in there somewhere. A little dark humor, a little black comedy. Um, but it seemed like it took this series a few episodes to get to Atlanta, which was the whole, it felt like the core of the series. So the first half, it was kind of like, they're just kind of teasing Atlanta here and there. And the second half is like all Atlanta. And I wonder if maybe they would have been better served to just do, it, it felt like maybe a little too too slow a burn into Atlanta. You know, it felt like maybe the episode one and two episode, like you got to introduce Atlanta. I think you got to introduce like three, maybe episode three, like episode one, mention it. Episode two, he goes and then comes back. Episode three. Okay. Go to Atlanta. I don't know. It just felt like, it almost felt like two different seasons to a certain extent, just because it like took them so long to get to Atlanta. And maybe that's a commentary on just how slow law enforcement and, and was back then. You know, and the fact that this unit, the behavioral science unit, was so young and so new that they just didn't have a lot of faith in it. It was just like, well, whatever. I don't even know about this case. And that's what's so crazy because I'm just coming off of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where... You know, I'm I, I'm vaguely familiar with the Manson murders, and I know that it, Manson murders were big time news, and that he's a huge figure, a, a notorious figure in, in in American history. And then you kind of find out what happened, and you're like, okay, well, I guess that's that way because no one's had ever done that before. So in that respect, that's why it got so much notoriety. But this Atlanta thing. How is no one talking about this more than the Manson murders? Is it because there was a celebrity involved? And I know it's, but like this Atlanta thing, I mean, there's like 20 some odd missing and murdered kids. Are you kidding me? And, uh, and I guess I, uh, you know, the, the series made it, made, try to hammer home the point that it's like, it's because they were black. Like if these were white kids, it would, it would have been, people would still be talking about it to this day, but the fact that it's black kids, I've never heard of it. And part of it, I guess, was because the city of Atlanta was trying to sweep it under the rug at the time. At least that's what the show said. But the fact that I've been on this earth almost 40 years, you know, in life crisis, uh, and I haven't heard about this. This is the first time I'm hearing about these these uh, disappearances and these uh, homicides. It's just like, that's bananas to me. But uh, to me, the show... Bill Tench is the is the best character on the show. Holden Ford is kind of like he's like a Rain Man type character. That's like I understand he's very talented and smart, 
they've tried to kind of delve into they teased possible romantic interest with the um the front desk clerk at the hotel and you're like okay so now we're gonna see this romantic this other side of him that we've never seen before and then it was like nope psych it was just all ploy to get him to talk to the mothers of the disappearing disappeared ch- children which good on yeah front desk clerk but it also the fact that i know that that guy's gay holding for the car- the the actor i believe is gay so, you know i'm not good at compartmentalizing so it's you it takes a second for me to be like but he's gay <laughs> he's not straight he's gay just like dude that that's an actor and that's the character gay can play straight straight can play gay blah 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 Unless you're Scarlett Johansson, and you're white trying to play an Asian character, can't do it. Anyway, which I thought that was uh, explored in Black. Was it Black Mirror? No. Um, oh shit! That show, like noir, had the uh, hot guy, good bod, weird bod, chest was weird, but like he's in a sleeve. <laughs> Damn it, that sucks. Good show, though. Yeah, it's like an Asian guy who dies, but then he gets his consciousness is brought back into a white guy's body. And that that happens with a lot of different people in the future. Like, you'll be a certain identity, but then you're brought back into, they call it a sleeve, but it's it's a, a cloned body. And it can be a totally different race and ethnicity, but you have this identity. And it really fucked with your mind. Because I'm sure the cultural appropriation folks were like, just like, couldn't even talk. They're just drooling and bleeding out of the eyes because they're like, oh my God. You know, I I know it's different, but it's just like, I'd love to see their reaction to that. You know, at one point there's like, you know, an old Hispanic woman, her consciousness is brought back into like a neo-Nazi's body. You're like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I loved it, but... Good show. I don't know that got great reviews. What the fuck was it called? Uh, I'll look it up and throw it in the description after the show. So anyway, back to this. Yeah, so the fact that I knew he's gay kind of took me out of it for a second. Then, you know, it's just like, get over it. He's straight in the show. Get over it. Um, but Bill Tench is, 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 I'd say it's Bill Tench and then Wendy Carr the female doctor who was kind of just like still stuck in the basement. I thought they did a tremendous job of kind of showing you what a glass ceiling looks like. It's not as in your face as a lot of TV shows and movies have made it out to be like, you're a woman. You can't do that. This one was like, no, but you do so good in the basement. You do so good in the basement. We need you in the basement and kind of that subtle backhanded glass ceiling type, uh, maneuver i thought they they uh, navigated that and portrayed it uh, pretty cool pretty well but you get to see her her private side her personal side how she's attracted to this uh, bartender at this local hangout and uh they hit it off and you know she's the yin and the yang like she's kind of this uptight intellectual type person who's uh you know, very rigid um, emotionally, I guess you could say. And then you have the bartender who's very loosey-goosey, casual clothing, kind of just lounging on the couch, not sitting upright, postures different, mannerisms are different. 
but she also i like that they gave her a nice little backstory in depth and i don't know how much of this is based on real people but like the fact that she had been married to a man and has a kid and has made the mistake of introducing her female love partner i mean this is the early 80s so it's not present day where it's like yeah no one no one's gonna be all up in arms about it it's the early 80s where it's like you know gay is a mental illness <laughs> so um I love that storyline. I thought that was great. So I'd say Bill Tench's storyline was incredible. When he's like, he, I mean, the fact that he's this FBI guy who's profiling and trying to capture serial killers. And, you know, the show is now positioning his son to like, is this nature versus nurture? You know, he's adopted, he's not birth. They don't have anything genetically. Bill and his wife don't genetically don't have anything that indicates any kind of prior family history prone to violence blah 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 do the birth parents of the adopted kid like do they have something going on there so you know very interesting interesting dichotomy and a challenge for bill and you know i'm I'm kind of like uh, it frustrates me and this is probably why it's so the writers succeed and the producers succeed in in the way that they uh handled it but bill just tell someone it like it, it takes him a little bit to tell Wendy. It takes him way longer to tell Holden. And my guess is because Holden is more prone to jump towards just uh, convicting the kid and condemning him and saying, yep, that's a serial killer. Whereas Wendy would be a little more open-minded and say, oh, Bill, you know, um, I understand and, you know, we'll work through it together. But and if I'm in Bill's shoes, I'm just telling everybody. Neil, you know, God damn it, this meeting is at two. Why are you five minutes late? Uh, my kid murdered a toddler, tried to crucify him in the cross. And then, you know, it's like I just <laughs> I immediately use that as an excuse. It's a major character flaw of mine. But that's also what makes uh, Bill's uh, journey during this series so awesome is that he's holding, he's tension, he's, he has tension and he's clenching about. His deteriorating marriage with his wife, who thinks that work is takes higher priority over the family, even though it's a one-income household, folks. And this is what's so frustrating, and, and I understand the wife's position, Mrs. Tench. Sally? Natalie? One of those names. I understand, you know, Karen? No. Uh, you know, she wants equal say. She feels like she's not getting the say because she's not the one bringing in the income and he is and, you know, he's kind of brushing it off. But at the same time, he's not completely brushing off. It clings to him, you know, it sticks to him. It's in the back of his head at all times. It's it's not as prominent as she would like it to be. And it's like, you know, you don't know how much leeway you have, especially with, uh, you know, the FBI. You know, it's not like you're working at a, I don't know, you know. Uh, you know, working at an intelligence agency, it's kind of hard to say, you know, you know, I don't want to catch that killer that we're hot on the trail of because my kid is maladaptive and asocial. It's like, okay. So that was, I mean, you know, that was just heartbreaking to watch that just every episode is getting worse and worse and worse to the point where she's like neglecting everything and takes up smoking, um, which Bill smokes like a chimney, which is just crazy. I just don't, I mean, he's just like, you're, you're, I'm waiting for the episode where he just falls over and that's it on, that's a wrap on Bill Tench. Cause it's like scotch whiskey, thousands of cigarettes, 
wife who is just like all over you and a kid that you like hope doesn't become a serial killer it's like yikes um there was a great quote that i had up and then my computer died so i'll maybe i'll read it at some other point probably not but yeah so it goes bill tench who's i mean for me he's the magnetic force for the for the show um and then you got wendy and her new romance which i liked to a certain extent i didn't like her being so willing to throw away that relationship based on a conversation she overheard that was supposed to be private between the wife and the husband and i kind of uh, the lover and her husband i kind i took the lover's side almost 100% because it's like, dude, that's how I talk to my husband to make sure that this can still happen. You start to mix the two and it's, you know, we're not at that point yet. So I, I, I understood the lover side and I, I understand why Wendy was hurt by it, for sure, I get it. But it wasn't, you know, I don't know. That was tough to stomach. And the fact that she was, she just threw it away. It was like, whoa, that is cold-blooded. Just shut it down. Um, when did I get uh, chills? There were two more scenes or moments where I was like, it felt like they were dick. It just felt like they were dicking around most of the time. Um, but the one plan the that uh the one scene that really was just kind of off for the show where it was Holden's plan he wants to draw out the killer right this is uh I think episode 7ish and they and so they keep on they keep on not listening to Holden. They're like, Holden, shut up. We cannot pursue that. That has no tangible evidence, no logical ties. Like you're you might be right, but we can't pursue it. Blah blah. blah. We need to pursue the leads that make the most sense. And da, da, da. And so eventually Holden's like, I have a plan to draw out the killer. We're gonna have there's some kind of memorial happening, and he's like, Let's turn it in into, I guess that's not the word parade shouldn't use the word parade but procession where we're going to go to where all the bodies were discovered have a little memorial service at each one which will lead to the church blah blah this will draw out the killer because the killer will want to see you know because he's through these interviews with uh son of sam and um charles manson they actually interviewed charles manson which i'll get into a little bit but they know that okay the, the the killers and ed kemper the killers like to go back to the scene of the crime because they they relive the um a feeling of the rush or whatever and they get some more satisfaction out of that so he's like the killer will come back because he wants to see the press these killers they always want to be famous and legendary and iconic and they want the attention they want to see what they caused and so he's like we're gonna have this procession parade but it's critical, and this is the point where I was like, I don't understand this, and I didn't understand the way it was shot, but like when he's like, we, we need these crucifixes or we need these crosses. I didn't understand the reasoning for it. I didn't understand why he was so flummoxed and flustered when he was like, we, you know, <laughs> that was a funny scene when he's trying to get shit done, and it's just like you see all the goddamn red tape that he has to go through, and you're like, <sighs> like that is very relatable. Um, 
and uh, they got the perfect guy to be like the guy's like, ooh, yeah, sorry. He's like straight out of office space. Um, but so he eventually gets the crosses. They make the crosses, and he's like, and he like is hurrying to get the cross to the last point, which is the church. And the way that they shot this, and the, it was just very weird. It was like, you know, kind of like natural born killers, like tilted camera, like coloring was off. It was completely inconsistent with the rest of the show. And I, I don't understand the meaning of it. And I'd love to know. I'd love to go to like on Reddit or something like that and just see like, here's why they did that. Cause I have no idea. I don't get it. And the fact that he rushes and he, and he hurries up the steps and like the, the mothers can see him doing this and he plops the cross down on the, on the top of the stairs of the church and he looks and he sees the mother, and the mother's almost like, dude, what in the holy hell are you doing? Like, what is this doing? What is, this is just a show to you. Like, what, how is this cross, like, that's going to be the, the determining factor? And what made it even more bizarre is they never address it again. Like, what? Uh, it, uh, <laughs> it just, like, never comes up again. And I understand, like that's what makes a great story is you have you know you have these hurdles you have these challenges and you have the protagonist trying to get through those and they fail and they fail and they fail until they succeed i just didn't under i didn't understand the significance of the cross the importance of getting it down at that time and like how it ultimately i don't know and they never brought it up again kind of weird Um, and the other part where I got chills was uh, when they, when they, whenever they, <laughs> when they have all these guys stationed on all these bridges and they're they're going over budget and it's like this is our last night and of course like last night the they the the uh, suspect uh, they you know one of the rookies hears the splash and then the suspect drives away off the bridge at like three in the morning and it's like they pull them over and of course whenever they say your first your middle and your last name. There's only like three times when you ever hear your first, your middle and your last name. One, when you were a kid and you were in trouble, Neil, David Lynch, get down off that couch right now. Okay. That's one. Number two, when you graduate from high school or college, Neil, David, Lynch, and then you get your diploma and you do a cartwheel, whatever, you toss your hat. Third time is when you are a suspected serial killer. <laughs> Those are the three times when you hear your full name. And as soon as they said his, that guy, uh, when they pull out the guy from the white station wagon or whatever, and they're like, William, B and this is sad, I don't even remember his name. Charles Manson, always remember his name, don't remember this guy's name, and this guy, in my opinion, is more sinister. Fucking kids, man. And when they say his first, middle, and last name, I'm like, yeah, yeah, serial killer. That's the guy. You can't say, and maybe that's a great way to, to take someone down, like your, your mortal enemies, your arch rivals, is to be like, Neil, David, Lynch, you know what you did. And everyone's like, holy shit, he used his middle name. He's definitely done something real bad. <laughs> yeah, so... um. And it's sad to, to, to figure out what, to find out what actually happened in, in real life with that, that the guy got rung up on two separate murders of adults or something like that. And he got life, 
but it was like there was always like this wink and a nod like yeah but he probably was yeah he probably did the other kids he probably did all the kids but did the mothers you know did the mothers get justice not really i mean you know they do and they don't i mean the it stopped happening when they arrested him and put him in jail so it seems like logic would dictate okay they got the right guy in the back of your head you gotta think yeah they got the right guy but it's not official can't officially say it so i understand how that can be such a pain in the dick well i'll leave you with this this is the one quote which just sums up men versus women in my opinion and i know it's gonna you know sexist whatever uh, okay cool i'm sexist um when Holden is leaving the restaurant with the mothers of the disappeared children, and the mother, one, the lead mother, who her glasses threw me off the whole friggin' show. I think they finally got it under control towards the end, but like at, at the beginning of the show, when she's first introduced in every scene afterwards, her her glasses are humongous, and they take up her like half her face, and they're reflecting everything. And it's just like it's like she moves around and you're just like, am I in a disco? What's going on here? She kind of um that's just a tough spot to be in. I'm not criticizing her at all. I will criticize her for this though. This was kind of effed. When Holden was leaving the restaurant and she's like, take a cornbread on the way out. And he's like, All right, I feel he must have been like, All right, yeah, we're connecting. Yeah, okay, we get it. Yeah, we're yeah, this is we're bonding. You 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 see that I'm a human. I see that you're a human. We're working together. This is beautiful. Take a cornbread on the way out. Yes, I will take a cornbread on the way out. And then she goes, "That'll be a dollar." Oh, gotcha, got him. Wow, <laughs> that'll be a dollar. That's a that's a that is a that is a woman move right there. Strong woman move. Take a cornbread on the way out, then I'll be a dollar. Hey, are you hungry? Yeah. Yeah, I am hungry. All right, well, the food's in the fridge. Well, fuck you then. Hey, um, you want a beer? Yeah, have a beer. It's in the cooler. You know, dude. Yeah, so that's the pretty much all the TV we've been watching. Um, as I mentioned, let's talk about movies. We're going to get into some movies right now, some movie reviews. Real quick, rapid-fire action. I don't have really detailed um, thoughts on a lot of these. Uh, you know, a mix of movie news, movie reviews. We'll start with movie news. Um, a lot of trailers hit the webs. Um, a lot of news coming out. Um, Terminator Dark Fate. I don't know what it is about Terminator movies, but every time a trailer comes out, I am so amped it doesn't matter how many bad terminator movies i've seen or mediocre ter terminator movies i've seen anytime a new trailer for a new terminator movie comes out i am a volcano i am just in love with it trailers uh, they continue to dupe me they continue to to manipulate me and and um it's a drug i, I can't get over it i'm addicted to trailers and the majority of trailers just make every movie look so goddamn good, especially the Terminator movies. And the fact that Linda Hamilton is back and she looks pretty good. And they have like that, uh, the new kind of female, Lin the new Linda, and the new female Linda Hamilton. Dear. The new Linda Hamilton esque character who kind of looks like Robin Wright Penn. Awesome casting choice. 
Um, didn't get to see much of the bad Terminators, but it looks like uh, from one, uh, this is the first trailer I'm talking about. It looks like it might be a guy who sneaks in to the country through immigration, and he's like Hispanic-looking. Hitting a lot of nerves with that one. So on point. So woke. Um, and of course, Arnold's back. And Linda Hamilton's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And Arnold's like, <laughs> no. And it's just like, okay, weird. <laughs> I hope I never have that conversation with someone when I'm like 60. Get a knock on my door. Hey, remember fifth grade? I'm going to kill you. And it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Um, but it looks amazing. And I'll, I'll probably go check it out. Uh, Black Panther 2 is coming in May 2022. All right. Black Panther 2. You're going to be better than Black Panther 1. I just, I got a good feeling about it. You're going to be better than Black Panther 1. I think Black Panther 1, there was a lot of, it was just, it was, there was a certain timidity. I don't know, is that a freaking word? Timidity. My microphone is all over the place right now. Um, I think it was, you know, they kind of, they, I don't think it got the full backing I think the studios were like, this is what the world needs. And they just kind of slowly nudged it out the door. And I think this one, they're going to get, it's going to get, they saw what it can do um, and its appeal. So they're going to put pour more money into it. You'll get better CGI, possibly better character development, better story development. I'm not saying Black Panther 1 sucked, but it's not like the greatest movie of all time. Um, so I'm, I'm more excited for that. Um, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker trailer premiered a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, yeah, more of the same great stuff that uh, these new Star Wars movies look exponentially better than the second trilogy. And the I guess the one moment that everyone's talking about is where you see Rey, and she's kind of in the kind of the dark Sith, Darth Sith like garb that wardrobe that whole outfit that fit and she's got like the uh i guess a double saber that's red and red indicates bad so it's like did she go over the dark side mm. so i'm very interested to see that hopefully i'll score a date night to go see it uh between two ferns with zach galifianakis uh trailer dropped for that and it actually looks pretty good I mean, you, you, you wonder sometimes, like, how the F is this going to be turned into a movie? I thought they did an, an all right job. And it's like, you know, Between Two Ferns was always, and no one, probably no one else had this reaction, but every time a new Two Ferns would come out, people would just, like, calm themselves and be like, oh, my God, it's so, like, you know, and, they, and I, whenever that happens and people get so, it gets so much pub and so much, publicity and press and and everyone's so in love with it i usually that's when i like i i distance myself away from it makes no sense no idea i guess i want to be a bad boy rebel or whatever <laughs> but you know anytime the, the new two ferns would come out and they would be like oh you gotta see this and it's like everywhere you can't avoid it and i'm just like all right all right stop shoving it down my throat and then you watch it and you're like yep yep makes sense so good you go in and i click it i click play like this is gonna be a hate watch i'm gonna hate watch this i'm gonna watch it and i'm not gonna like it and of course like halfway through it i'm like laughing out loud and it's like oh, why do i resist just give in neil 
So yeah, definitely want to watch that. Probably not in the theater though. It's not in the theater. It's on Netflix. Yet fucking idiot. Um, Face Off is getting a reboot remake. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. And I know people always say that about reboots and remakes. Just like huge mistake. There's no need to do it, especially with this, which is considered a classic. Like it's nearly flawless. Like what? Why? What? <laughs> but. Mm, you know, I can see an instance where it could work. My guess is that, you know, maybe they'll go the route, the route of face-off, but it's two African-American leads, two female leads. They kind of put that twist on it. I can see that possibly working. But again, you've seen, is that working? Like, we're just going to recycle this old white garbage, or sorry, old white movies, and we're going to turn it into uh, minority-driven uh you know, minority-driven projects and programs, like, is that really the right approach, or should we try to make just make more original movies with minorities and the marginalized, I guess you would say? I don't know. But I did get to see Aquaman, finally. Finally. Yeah, I think my, my wife is just all out on superhero movies like uh, which is ironic because like our first one of our first date nights was to see like thor 2 <laughs> which is like considered the worst of the thor movies and uh you know we snuck in alcohol and i think she i think she stole hand up i don't know if there's like the statute of limitation is up yet but she stole a mug from a restaurant that we went to afterwards so bit of a klepto not anymore though i hope uh, but we, I watched Aquaman on Saturday morning. So what happens is on, on the weekends, like try to let the wife sleep in. I wake up with the baby, take her down, throw her in jail <laughs> in the playpen. And then uh, I just kind of lay down and I'm like kind of half awake. And I just turn on a movie that you don't have to pay a lot of attention to. It's just one of those minds you can turn your, one of those movies, one of those minds you can turn your movie off. One of those movies where you turn your mind off. And you just kind of just absorb it. And you're like, ah, like, it's so bad, it's good. Aquaman actually got decent reviews, I saw. Um, but you can see, like, the problem with the DC Extended Universe is, like, Marvel kind of set the tone and laid out the foundation and the blueprint, and DC is kind of trying to follow that. And it's like, don't try and follow what they're doing. Just do what you want to do. You know, and I think maybe they actually tried to do that with like uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and it didn't really click because people are so used to the Marvel movies, not realizing that we just had the Christopher Nolan trilogy, which was just like raw and, and uh, grimy and, you know, that kind of gritty type uh, aesthetic that didn't have a ton of humor, but like had it placed here and there. Whereas Marvel has the humor, albeit whatever. Um, interspersed throughout the their franchises so i feel like dceu is trying to do that and with aquaman it just comes off as like aquaman trying to like rip jokes and tell jokes or say funny things and it's just like you're a goofball dude and 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 it'll always stick with me there was a i think this was film drunk vince from phil drunk film drunk i think his name is uh he said i don't know if it's him but uh, he, when he said his first reaction to Dan, um, I just gave it away. Jason Momoa as Aquaman was like, he's the Dan Cortez of superheroes. 
I just that just continues to resonate with me. I mean, this is like years later, and I still think about that. And you watch, and you're like, yeah, it's like we're about. It's like a rock and jock softball game is about to break out in this freaking movie with Jason Momoa trying to crack jokes as Aquaman. Um, but uh, I liked it. You know, I mean, it's not like anything groundbreaking i mean I, they, they uh, the one thing i did notice is if you remember the original spider-man trilogy they kind of borrowed a tactic from the original spider-man trilogy this happened i feel like a bunch of times during aquaman where there's a conversation two people intimate conversation kind of slow kind of quiet they bring the audience down, bring down, bring the audience down, bring the audience down, calming, soothing, loving. And then it's just quickly and rudely interrupted by an explosion. Just and it blows the two characters away. And then the action picks up and they're whoa. And it's like, I get it. It's a great tactic. And it makes sense. Totally. I'm on board with it. Just don't overuse it. And they did that in Spider-Man, the Spider-Man one with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. They did it a lot because it was like Green Goblin was just like, it makes me think that like Green Goblin gets there early and he's just like watching like uh, Peter Parker talking to uh, what's her face, Mary Jane. And he's just watching and kind of like eavesdropping. And he's like, oh, no, we, no. Oh, my God. I can't believe he said that. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Um, oh, oh, he's about to say I love you. He's about to say I love you. The toss a pumpkin exploding. <laughs> this makes me think like the villain is just waiting for just the right moment to interrupt that shit. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's cool. It's just like, dude, every time you're going to have a slow conversation, like, come on. It happened with, uh, remember when, um, and this is the, it's become a meme, I think, possibly. I'm a May, where Annie, uh, Aunt May, I think mean, the, the original Spider-Man trilogy, so she's older. She's not the hot, I wanted to say Sally Field. Is it Sally Field? She was the next one. Was it the one after that? It was Marissa Tomei? Jesus. But this was the older Aunt May, and she's kind of like <laughs> sitting and praying at the bed. This is Spider-Man 1, yeah. And she's sitting and praying at the bed, and then Goblin, and it's nice and quiet, and she's like, oh, Peter, and then all of a sudden it's like, right behind her, and she's able to stay right there in the kneeling position, which is insane. And Green Goblin comes, just hovers in on his hoverboard, and he's like, finish it, finish it. It's just like, I love that. So good. Like, if you're going to do the explosion interrupting uh, a quiet moment, you got to be like, finish it. <laughs> uh, um, and it's crazy. I didn't even realize that Dolph Lundgren was an Aquaman until the freaking credits rolled. He just didn't even look like Dolph. The whole underwater thing kind of threw me off too. And I, I talked to a friend who was just like, I, I, it, I couldn't get into it. It just seemed too absurd. The fact that like they're able to do so much under the water and talk and you don't see bubbles coming out. <laughs> it's just like, it is, it is very off putting, but I mean, I don't know, suspend your disbelief, bro. So, uh, we did get a chance to, to watch rocket man with Taryn Egerton who's from the Kingsman. Uh, and you know what? I, I think I might have enjoyed this movie more if it didn't come out after Bohemian Rhapsody. 
I know that there was kind of, I asked around and I think people were split on the fact that it was kind of had a musical element to it. So like the scene just kind of quickly, and I've always had trouble with that, but with this movie, I didn't, you know, there's, it always seems crazy. And especially with Broadway plays or anything where it's like, you're talking to another human being and you're like, yeah, well, that's a lot like you just like what you're just removing yourself from the situation and singing and dancing over there what happened to that conversation it completely bothers me it didn't bother me with this though the wife didn't like it she didn't like that element you know kind of again it takes you out of what's happening but i I liked how they they were able to seamlessly kind of weave it they used somewhat relevant songs to what was going on in the scene so i dug it the only issue i I think i had and a lot of people had was it's just too much of a downer man and i get it but like just you know how aquaman uses the soft of the loud and spider-man uses the soft of the loud give us that little roller coaster high and low you're giving us like just non-stop Elton John being depressed and in the gutter the entire movie. Give us some highlights. And I think they, they kind of did it. I guess when he's singing, that is the high moment. But he's singing about low mo- You know what I'm saying? He's singing about low moments. I don't know. I think they could, they, they could have been a better... They could have struck a better balance there. But man, you want to talk about moments? I guess the moments that stuck out to me were like the back-to-back smashes they call it smashes in the face to elton john when he visit when he visits his dad his birth dad and the dad's just like uh can you give us an autograph no no no, not to me to my coworker. it's like ooh, and he's like how's it feel being the biggest pop star in the world like you know and he's saying it like i could care less i couldn't care less that you're the biggest pop star in the world and so that was like, ooh, punch the gut. And then he calls his mom and is like, I'm gay. Comes out to his mom. And you're kind of like wondering, okay, how is she going to respond? Is she going to be like completely shocked? Or is she going to be like accepting? And it turns out she's like, she knows or she knew. But she's like, yeah, just keep it on the down low. And it's just like, oh, it's almost like you'd rather her be just like no and then you can help her get to that yes or maybe that's her moment to be redeemable and redeemed and have that redemption moment because she's kind of like all right you cheated on the dad and it's understandable the dad kind of sucks but like you're still not in our good graces you kind of like are kind of you're uh a parasite to a certain extent you keep on just taking your son's money and 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 so I thought that could have been the redemption moment, and instead it's just a slam. I'm oh, sorry, they called it a character slam. Jesus Christ, it's been a while. And uh, that back-to-back was just like, Whoo. And you don't get to see the good part. You kind of get a glimpse of it really, really at the very end where it's like, he met a guy, and I think they got married, or they're lifelong partners, and they adopted a kid, and it's like, just show us a little bit more of that before we've already left the theater, or before we turn it off. I don't know. But I don't know how many more of these musical biopics I can take that are just like, yeah, we get it. You get famous, everyone wants to be your friend, but they're not really your friend, and you have all these random people in your big old mansion, and you get addicted to drugs and booze, and you know, uh, you know, it, we get it. 
watch that happen to me now and i'll be like i'm sorry i should have known um next movie thoroughbreds okay so this one i've been wanting to watch for a long time it came from a recommendation from a friend of a friend and i and it, these kind of movies are tough because it's like especially knowing the backstory so you see movies and this is and this has been a, a, a point of contention with like uh, rotten tomatoes is that interpret you, you almost need a, a, a certificate or a degree to interpret and decode rotten tomatoes ratings right because there are certain times and rotten tomatoes has kind of almost done away with audience scores when you're browsing so all you're seeing is the, the critic scores and critics like i don't know critics can be down, debbie downers a lot of time and they they just don't appreciate they just want to see something different they don't care that it for, follows a formula most of the time. If it follows a formula, it's like, oh, it's the worst piece of garbage. And it's like, no, the, the, the formula works. Anyway, so sometimes you'll see when browsing like Rotten Tomatoes, it's like, oh, this has a good rating, but it's not, even though it has a high rating, it's not considered whatever that, whatever they call it. Um, certified or something i don't know it's like they're whatever so it's like okay i don't know if i can really take this seriously this rating because it's like not enough critics rated it so you gotta take that into consideration number one number two what is the actual audience score you know i don't feel like watching a like a certified golden tomato movie from critics that has like a 90 or an 89 and then the audience is like 40 something it's like something is obviously not working here it's not jiving with the general public and i think book smart and that happens with a lot of these uh indie movies that don't make it to the theater or, or have very limited releases and you're like they're indie darlings and they do so well on the festival circuit and then and this has been a, a, a ongoing thing is like you know you have these studios buying these indie darlings for millions of dollars and they don't do shit in the theaters and they you, they get eight minute standing ovations at festivals and it's like first of all what the hell are you doing standing and clapping for eight minutes straight you're psychotic that is a, that is a psycho move to do that I mean, after a minute one or two, you got to be like, this is, I mean, I, no way. My hands hurt. So that's kind of my hesitancy to, to watch Booksmart, combined with the fact that you had this backstory of, like, it actually was made in, like, 2017, 2016, 2017, I think. And it's, it's Anton Yelchin's last movie. Anton Yelchin died at the age of 27. I guess he... I don't, know, I don't remember all the details, but I, he ran over himself with his Jeep. Um, he's great in this movie, by the way. So I don't know if that helps anyone, but um, it's a good send off. Stinks when you, I mean, that's not great when it's like your last film is a, is a clunker and your last role is not great. It's like, this is his last role. And you're like, oh, not the way to be remembered, but he's great in this role. Um, it's kind of a darkish comedy. Uh, it's got the young woman from Split who's got those mm, very uh, unique facial arrangement. <laughs> Can I even say that? Her eyes are, are like mesmerizing. Um, and then uh, I believe it's Olivia Cook, up-and-coming actress. Um, but, I mean, just a phenomenal job. The way it's shot... 
you can't help but notice certain things and the way that uh, shots are framed. Beautiful cinematography, production value. Um, yeah, and it turned out to be a really good movie. So I, I highly recommend it. I don't, I, I don't know many of the details, but like the fact that they were, you know, and this is going to have spoilers, obviously, but I love they set up, you know, at the beginning, uh, Olivia Cook, the one who um, killed her horse, mercifully killed her horse, I would say, maybe, I don't know. Um, when she's walking through the house, like it's kind of like the opener. She's walking through her tutor's house that turns out to be her friend eventually. And it's like, it's basically walking you through every, every uh, poignant scenes in the movie beautiful it's foreshadowing everything's gonna happen when she like takes out the saber is about to take out the saber the long sword and uh anya taylor whatever comes in is like what are you doing that sword is the one that's that's eventually used to to kill the stepdad i mean i said spoiler so it's, it's on you if you didn't uh pause and forward timestamps. um but uh the the moment there was some the the one big moment though the one that gives you chills is when you find out that she's drugged her friend and she's like don't drink it she's like I drugged it and then the friend drinks it anyway she's like doesn't she just I guess she just wants to feel something she's not able to feel I did think the transformation for Anya Taylor whatever would have been a little more unbelievable like not believable if they hadn't slowly dropped in little snippets here and there about her having some issues of her own, how she got kicked out of the one school. And I mean, they're very subtle, but it's like without those, I don't know that you can believe this transformation from I'm a goody two shoes who's smart and intelligent wants to do the right thing to I'm going to murder my stepdad and drug my best friend. You know, it's a big jump to take, but uh, the way that they were able to pull it off Mwah, chef's kiss um so that's a that's a recommend on my end um book smart was the next one we watched which you know it's like super bad to a certain extent it's super bad but with women which you know no problem with that the twist here is that uh other than that being women instead of guys is that it's uh one of the the friends the two friends is a lesbian you know coming to terms with that and um you know that journey uh i thought it was it was you know well produced well acted good writing um you know it had will forte in it which he's like he's now becoming like the funny dad in every movie like, I'll get to my review of Good Boys in a second, because he's a part of that. He's in Good Boys as, like, the funny dad. He's the funny dad in this one. And, and Lisa Kudrow as the mom is great. I almost wish they had more scenes, but obviously you don't want to, like, overplay that card. Um, you don't want the focus to be on them, but, like, it would have been nice to have it's a little more. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot on the cutting room floor that they could have added. Um, it was directed by Olivia Wilde. And of course, Jason Sudeikis is is in it, and uh, I feel like we're in an age where you're not, you should not criticize other people if you don't have 
the right to criticize. So I don't have the right to criticize Jason Sudeikis, but I feel like he's he was so close to being my generation, this generation's, next generation's Bill Murray. It almost felt like he was going to be that guy, and it just hasn't happened for him. And I'm and I and I I, I want it to happen for him, but now it's kind of being like. Is it going to happen? And like, is this pretty much the same? Am I just watching the same shtick that is almost Bill Murray? I have no right to criticize. I'm a nobody. I'm just saying. It's an observation I have. I want Jason Sudeikis to be that guy, but I just don't think he is. And, um, I mean, he did have a funny moment. A funny-ish moment in the Uber. Where he's the Uber driver, he plays the vice principal, principal, and he turns out he's also becoming an Uber driver, which is just like oh, so sad for teachers. Um, but what's his name? One of the writers for SNL. He might have st- like had one of the best scenes where he's the pizza delivery guy. He gets in, and the two girls in the back, and they're using the hair as masks, and they're like, "Take us to this address," because the whole movie is like them trying to get to this party hosted by a popular kid where the girl that one of the girls likes is going to be there. And so that's like the whole MO behind the movie. I feel like Gigi and Jared really steal the show. Like I'm almost, uh, I love those characters more than I did the two characters that they focused on. I mean, I understand they're more grounded and they're not as frenetic, and so that makes more sense to focus on them. But, like, like Gigi and Jared kind of just stole the show. And I think uh, I think his name is Mike O'Brien, I think his name is. He used to do Seven Minutes in Heaven or something like that, where he's in a closet with a celebrity. Just YouTube it. It's pretty funny. He was also a writer for SNL, and he wrote some amazing sketches for SNL. I don't know if he's still there. But he plays a pizza delivery guy, gets in his car to deliver the pizza. <laughs> he's just like... You girls cannot be doing this. You could, you know how dangerous this is. You know how you can end up bound and gagged in a basement with blah blah. And he goes into detail about how like <laughs> someone hypothetically could like kidnap them and do bad things to them. And of course, he becomes the integral plot point for them to get out of jail later. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was awesome. Um, it's always interesting though when like, uh. characters take drugs unknowingly take drugs in a film like Gigi gave them strawberries or chocolates or something that were laced with I guess Molly or something like that or ayahuasca and I guess I don't know enough about ayahuasca but this can happen with other drugs in movies it's like the person takes the drug has the trip and then that's it they're like sober and they're back to being normal and it's just like you just did drugs like five minutes ago what the hell just happened we went to a whole claymation stop animation sequence, and now all of a sudden you're like, I'm back to normal, and I'm talking normally. And I understand, like, you don't want to get too into that side of things, but I would like it to be a little more realistic when it comes to we're partying, and we're doing drugs, and we're drinking, and, and this happened with, it was a Netflix movie called, like, Something Great or Someone Great with uh, Gina Rodriguez. And one of the girls from Pitch Perfect. Um, and you're like, you guys have been fucking drinking 
and and maybe this is because you're in your 20s and i was in my 20s and i remember doing a lot of stuff but i also remember being very browned out slash blacked out and not acting normal and yet these trio broads are like slamming tequila eight in the morning smoking multiple joints lots of marijuana champagne wine like all day long and they're just having a normal conversation in a fucking nightclub that's blaring music and it's just like i don't know dude be a little more believable uh excuse me sorry but that happened in booksmart it's like here do this ayahuasca trip balls for didn't seem like that long we're gonna stumble out and then we're gonna be walking and talking normal I get it, but when it's the same, when it's a movie that is all one day or like, you know, extended day, I think you just have scenes where it kind of wears off maybe or gives more of a time jump. I don't know. Such a stupid thing to get hung, uh, hung up on, and I just did. Yeah. Um, you know, they also did the Ladybird ending, which, you know, I'm dropping you off at the airport, you're going to Botswana and. We're going to have that emotional moment where it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to pretend like this isn't a big thing, but it really is a big thing. And so it's like if that hadn't come out after Lady Bird, maybe it would have more of a profound impact. I don't know. I also was not a huge fan of. <coughs> and again, I like this movie I definitely watch it. But uh, so she the protagonist who's the lesbian, she uh, has like kind of a rivalry uh, contention conflict with a, a very pretty girl in her class that like kind of mean calls her out, but is MIA for most of the movie. Like they, there's one scene in the beginning where she like makes fun of her. The beautiful girl makes fun of the lesbian for being a lesbian. Um, and you don't see her at all until the party and it's not the girl that the lesbian's going after. The girl that the lesbian's going after is now making out with uh, the guy that the more heavyset friend, the smart friend who got into Yale, was going to go after. Uh, so, very confusing if you haven't seen it, but if you have, you know what I'm talking about. So, the beautiful girl and the lesbian, like, kind of have this heated, hot, like, conflict going on in the bathroom and then they and then the lesbian ends the uh, protagonist what the hell is her name i gotta use her name she kisses the beautiful supermodel type woman girl and they're getting into it and like they start addressing each other and then of course the girl does something off and she's like i'm sorry and she immediately turns so this scene and then the scene after between the two it just didn't work for me. She turns, she gets a solo, a random a solo cup off the bathtub, which I don't know that's your first move, but whatever, and just immediately downs it, which I've done that before, so I get that part. Like, you just down something, and there's a cigarette butt in it. Gross. And then she throws up on the girl. Okay. Now, I know these two have had a past where it's mostly combative, but, like, they finally come together, and they finally realize that they like each other or want each other and maybe it is just sexual maybe it isn't going to be a relationship type of thing but the girl throws up on the hot girl the hot girl gets so upset at the girl for throwing up on her 
that she's like, get the hell out of here. Get out of here. I don't want to see you. Get out of here. And it was like cleaning herself up in the shower. Now, maybe this is just like me having a warped, you know, contaminated mind that has been polluted by pornography. But if that hot girl is super into that, uh, to the protagonist, the main character, she's super into her and she's in the shower. Be like, hey, it's okay. Join me in the shower. Of course, that doesn't, you know, as far as movies go, that doesn't work, I don't think, in regular movies, non-porn movies, doesn't, doesn't work. So I understand that. But if she was really into that girl, she would have been like, come on in, let's, let's finish the job. I mean, you're in the shower. It's not like you're in a place where you can't wash off, clean it off, and then get back to what's going on. She's not going to puke again, you don't think, because she only puked because of the uh, garbage in the cup. Yeah, she could have puked somewhere else, but like in the heat of the moment, you know, it's like, have you ever puked before? Unexpectedly? Not like a whole lot of planning going into that. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to have that scene where she's like, get the fuck out of here, blah, 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 gets so upset at this woman for throwing up on you when she's like, you can just wash off right there, it's fine. And then you have the scene at the end where the girl walks outside and the hot girl's there and she's like, hey, I haven't heard from you. And it's like, you told me to get the fuck out of the bathroom. I threw up on you and you got mad at me. Yeah, I'm going to be like uh, that. I'm never talking to that person again. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like into that girl again. I, I don't know. I have always had problems with that. But, you know, a good movie, lots of good laughs. I thought. Um, nowhere near super bad, though. I mean, I'll throw that out there. I mean, no one's going to be throwing around one-liners from Booksmart. But it is a good romp, if you will. Uh, which leads me to Good Boys. Good Boys is super, bo super bad junior. Okay, if Booksmart is like the female lesbian version of Superbad, uh, Good Boys is the Superbad Junior. It's like South Park in real life, okay? And again, Will Forte plays the funny dad. The opening scene, he makes the opening scene. If Will Forte is not in that role and he doesn't say what he does in that scene, I think you're kind of like, this is like every other movie I've ever seen, and I don't know if I'm, I, can, I can stomach it. But like he sets the tone, and it's like, all right, we're in for a good ride. And most of the movie is, is basically just, I mean, it's on point. It's, it's young boys in sixth grade who just constantly misconstrue, misunderstand life, sex, you know, all that stuff, drugs, all the stuff that adults know thoroughly, and that's the joke. Adults know what it is. The kids get it wrong. We laugh. That's kind of like the, the running gag throughout the film. So, I, I, you know, I still had a good time. I'm glad to see that R-rated comedies are making a comeback and that they're successful because it's been a while. I wrote a blog in like two, three years ago that was like, where the hell are all the good R-rated comedies? Well, good boys, uh, yeah, it's like, it's rough thinking about like all the shit that like my kid is going to have to go through. I can't imagine. And it, it may, it's a little subtle humor, but like all the names of the kids in the, in the movie, all the sixth graders are like, oh my God, dude. Like everyone's trying to make this 
uh, give their kid a name that is like like an actor's name you know like that is so memorable and unique and different that it's like you you have to stand out the problem is if everyone has a name like that does anyone stand out and like everyone has that same idea collective thinking so it's like you have a thousand of these unique names that you thought were going to be so different which you know i almost fell prey to it i mean if i had a kid when i was when all my friends were having kids i would have a noah and a liam and a liam and now everyone's knowing liam it's like i would have been right there with everyone so i you know i don't fault anyone for that i just it's a funny observation um it was a it, it felt a little weird though that you know he's pursuing uh I, going into the movie i thought that they were going to have okay you have the three boys the three sixth graders but maybe the girls that they were into were going to have a little backstory and development of their own and we didn't get that at all which i thought was maybe a missed opportunity and you spend all this time following this one kid uh jacob tremblay who was in room and a bunch of other things it's in that one movie uh, i forget um i mean great actor um but you spend you you invest so much emotionally into this kid who's about to have his first kiss with this girl that he's always liked and and it's and it's literally like within a scene or less you know, it, you see it fall apart. And then the joke is that he's this hopeless romantic guy who's a serial dater and he's with girls and girls and girls and girls. And the, the joke is that, like, you know, those relationships in sixth grade last a week to two weeks at max. So like, if you're at a month, you're like, whoa, that's serious. Um, I thought the reveal, the plot twist with the, with Thor, the kid with the earring was that, and this is, you know... Hey, I was born in 1980. I've seen a lot of shit, okay? Sometimes they're subscribed to stereotypes. I just had a conversation with my uncle about this uh, last weekend. The earring. To me, that was like, okay, that's their little their little wink that, like, this kid who everyone thinks is straight, who's trying to be this badass, uh, because is actually gay, and that was going to be the big reveal. And uh, he's in this musical... And, and I think you would have, that you've been trained cinematically, your brain has been trained to, you see that and you're like, oh, he's into musicals, he's got the earring, all right, so the real is going to be he's gay. And they didn't, they didn't lean into that and play into that at all, which is probably, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. To kind of lead up to that and lead and lead and lead and lead and then to not have anything happen felt a little weird. It was like, it just felt like, okay. This is like we're leading up to everyone thinking he's gay, but he's not, or everyone not realizing he's gay, and then he's like, "I'm gay," and all the adults are like, "Yeah, duh," or you know, something like that. But it's just nope, just nothing. Um, I mean, the scene in the fraternity house, <laughs> so funny. That was like the one. I think that might have been the one line that kind of resonated with me. Was like. <laughs> <laughs> the kid, the ex-boyfriend who sells the Molly, they're trying to get Molly, buy Molly off of him, which is pretty funny, in the fraternity house. And the, the, the guy is like, there's the three kids on the couch. It's the Thor 
uh, Max is Jacob Tremblay, and then you have the bigger uh, black kid. And he, uh, from left to right, he goes, it's Thor, Max. Uh, oh, what the hell is his name? Black kid. I don't know. Sorry. Um, and the kid, the guy's like, suck my dick, and suck my dick. And then the black kid's like, what, am I just going to sit here <laughs> and watch? <laughs> like, oh, boy. Good stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I saw a review leading into it that was like uh, this business with the drone and the side, like it kind of derails for a, a lengthy amount of time because it's like this drone is so important. We got to get this drone back to the place we took it from or the dad will get mad. And you invest so much time in that. And the two girls, I feel like we needed to know more, give them just a little bit more backstory. It just felt a little too one-dimensional. I get it. It's like they're just two girls who want Molly, want to go to a concert and take Molly. I get it. Um, But it just felt like a little too one-note where they were just like, and I guess they tried to remedy that in the end when it, when they're at uh, the kid's house, the popular kid's house, and they're like they all realize that they're intertwined and connected. And there was a moment there where you're like, "Whoa, is what about to happen? What I think about is going to happen? Is that going to happen? Whoa, because that's whoa. I know this is R rated, but whoa. And of course, it didn't. I just my mind is a cesspool, so the, that that's on me. Um, but I thought the two girls could have been like that whole subplot side mission whatever just it kind of took away uh from uh from the movie but ultimately you know good laughs good to see r-rated comedy back at the top of the box office again uh i don't do not foresee a sequel at all but uh maybe this will be spawn and inspire some others to to get back on board uh and finishing out the movie section of the podcast, It Chapter 2 dominated the box office, and Joker is looking good with Joaquin Phoenix. Can we stop with clowns? I don't want any more clowns in my life, okay? I No thanks on the clowns. I know I'm not saying any groundbreaking shit here, but I, like, the original It from, like, 1990s still scares me. Like, no thank you. I thought I was done with that shit, and then I see we got, we got a remake, a reboot coming out, and I'm like, oh, I gotta see that 18 times a day on the television, because it's like they're running promos left and right. TV spots. And then, of course, it crushed at the box office, and they had it chapter two, and I got to see that again for another friggin' three months, four months, an entire year, and everyone loves it. And it's just like, <sighs> like I almost got that out of my brain. Almost. <coughs> <coughs> oh, yeah. Mm. That's what happens when you talk for, like, hours on end. Uh... And, of course, I'm psyched for Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And there's, you know, the buzz that he's going to get nominated for an Oscar and possibly win, which is insane that you could have uh, the same character win two Oscars. That's got to be a record. I don't know that any one character (laughs) has won multiple Oscars for actors. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong, but like that would be, I almost want to see it just because it would be like everyone lining up to play a different version of the Joker. You you could do your own Joker universe and just see, you got like in one universe, Robert De Niro is Joker, even though he was Joker, he's, he's in Joker. 
as like talk show host. But then again, maybe he is the spinoff is he's like corrupted, you know, Stockholm syndrome. He becomes, the you know, a lot of ways you can go with it. But I think the main criticisms, I can't wait to see it, but like the main criticism that I have and that a lot of the other people have is like, what is this? It's just like a one-off, you know? Like it's not part of the DCEU as far as I can tell. But if it is, kudos to everyone involved. Todd Phillips, I believe the director who did the Hangover series um, in old school. If it turns out that that's the twist and like it is part of the DCEU, oh yeah, that's good. I like that. But if it's not, it's kind of like, eh, okay. Because they, they announced that Robert Pattinson is Batman. Uh, and everyone's saying, no, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker will not meet Robert Pattinson's Batman. Um, and maybe I'm spoiling the movie, and I hope I'm not, but maybe I am, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but I gotta say it, it's on the tip of my tongue. Is Joaquin Phoenix's Joker the inspiration for, or the, the first iteration of the Joker? So the Joker that we know... Heath Ledger's Joker, is he the son of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? Because the aesthetic, everything that, the style, everything that you've seen from the trailers and promos, looks like it's not modern day. Because you got Robert De Niro in that kind of Johnny Carson-like, and maybe I'm just stating the obvious, I haven't read the official synopsis or anything, but it seems like it's taking place in the 70s, possibly the 80s, right around the time where Heath Ledger's Joker would be born. You know, and I, I'm completely probably stating the obvious because I haven't done a lot of research, but like, well, mind blown. You know, if I come to that on my own conclusion, kudos to me. But uh, I really hope that's the case. And then they can somehow tie in. I love connecting things. And that's the whole beauty of the universe is that you can find like use your brains, be creative. You can find a connection there. So if they can find a way to make Heath Ledger's Joker the son of or like related to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and then, you know, if you if you want to even try to tie in Jared Leto's Joker and say like he's the one that you know, play up how everyone was not happy with it or you either loved it or hated it. There was no in between with Jared Leto's Joker. Jared Leto's Joker somehow connect him to this whole thing. I just like tying it all together neatly. That's just my weird brain. So like Jared Leto sees what's happening with Heath Ledger's Joker. And so he's trying, he's like kind of like the imitator. He's the poser who like he had his own thing, but sees like, that's like cool and wants to be part of it. And so that's why he is the way he is. And so that explains his Joker. I just want explanations. <laughs> I hate leaving things uh, left undone. I like to solve problems. So I, I feel like that would be cool if they could connect it and all bring it all together. But if they pretended like, oh, yeah, this is a one-off, like totally not tied to any other ones, that's kind of kind of sad. I don't know. I feel like, well, we just, is this like the future? We're just going to have these random one-offs and they're not connected to the DCEU? And it's like, I don't know. Yeah, so that's uh, that's movie talk. What a journey. What a road we just took. Let's talk Mets. Huh? Let's talk New York Mets baseball. <sighs> wow. It's been a while since we talked about the Mets. It's been two plus weeks in it, and uh, I don't know how many lives this team has. 
the New York Mets are essentially a cat. They have nine lives. We had people canceling the season in June. It's September, and they're still alive, still breathing, still got a heart pumping, still got air in those lungs, still got brain activity, still got consciousness. I, I, it's amazing to me. I've never seen a team like this that has been marked for dead, left for dead, and continues to rise to the occasion, continue to be uh, retaliatory, retaliate, and, and continue to come back and, and never say die. Um, it's uh, one of the more, even if this team doesn't make the playoffs, uh, there's got to be a place in the history books and folklore of Mets folklore that says, did you watch the 2019 Mets and how ridiculous they were? How many players that they they threw out on that field? How many were seem seemingly were dead and buried and were gone forever and came back from the dead and and like joined the team right when they hit it hot? <sighs> Man, I mean, you know, we've seen everything. I I I'm curious. I mean, this is like if this were a movie. Okay, we're now hitting the point where it's like, what is coming next? We've just seen this team go through hell and back and then hell and back again and hell and back again. And now here we come down the final stretch of the season. What do they have in store for us? Robinson Cano is back. And his last 30 days that he's played, that he's actually played, um, he's been on fire. Jed Lowry and his little league helmet wearing ass is back. He's alive. I didn't think we'd see him at all ever again in a Mets uniform. And he comes back, and he looks like, you know, the at-bats I've seen have been pretty bad. Uh, I mean, there was one slow-mo replay where it's like, what are you, I mean, did you, what, are you drunk? Like, not even in the same zip code as the ball. But, who knows, maybe he can turn around. Brandon Nimmo, he's back. I never thought we'd see him again. Him again. Him again. Neck issue, spine issue. Uh, I mean... You got to hope it doesn't flare up and come back. But so far, he's been a walk machine. And it, I, I don't even know if I can say the word walk. It's a base on balls machine because the dude sprints the first. He doesn't walk the first with a big old grin, big old smile on his face. Um, I had a base running error last night, but that's okay. We'll forgive that. Pete Alonzo continues to crush. Uh, leading the league in homers, he's going to break Aaron Judge's rookie record. Jeff McNeil is kind of in a slump right now. Um, Todd Frazier has been seeing less playing time, but the playing time he does get, he puts he hits two run-scoring doubles. Single-handedly wins the game for them last night against the D-backs. My cats are going nuts now. Awesome. You got the Noah Syndergaard drama. Noah, dude. And this is where I, I'm so torn, because it's like he's... He's such a magnetic personality, extremely popular. Um, you like the version of him that's like, me, you don't like it, meet me 60 feet, six inches away. You like him buzzing the tower. You, you like him uh, being outspoken and, and being assertive and not taking his typical Mets, you know, David Wright type approach. It's very like humdrum and it's like to have some personality and to be, uh, you know, to have that type of mentality, tough mentality, but then to like complain to your bosses about the, the catcher situation. Some people are saying it's soft. S-A-W-F-T, soft, and I don't know. I mean, put yourself in his cleats. Like if you're pitching lights out with the, with two other catchers, 
your ERA is way down. You personally are performing well, but the team is losing versus this one catcher who you stink with, but the team wins. That seems like a no-brainer to me. That's like the team needs to win. I might stink when I have this catcher, but when this catcher's in, he's an offen- he's he's uh, offensively playing the best ball he's played in a long time. I mean, he had a 26-game hitting streak, Wilson Ramos, and he's been coming up with clutch hit after clutch hit, highly needed RBIs, and now it comes down to, like, crunching the numbers and doing the math. Like, do you have someone in analytics or a statistician that's saying, hey, when Ramos is in the game, his offensive numbers give us more runs and wins than when he's not in the game and you know are pitching better? You know? And I know Chris Carlin went off on uh, FAN, the CMB show, went off on Noah, had a huge rant, and was saying, like, uh, you know, he's over Noah, and he he thinks he's not going to be in a Mets uniform next year, and it's just, like, not working. And, you know, it's a guy who pretends he acts tough, but then he's, uh, you know... Obviously, Noah didn't want this to get out. I don't know how it leaked to the press. It's absurd that it did. It must be someone who just doesn't like Noah in the organization who must have overheard it or something like that. You know, it's a game of operator at that point. There have been no contract extension talks yet. He just turned 27, and he, and he just had one of the worst outings of his career where he gave up some, like, 10 runs to the Phillies or Braves, one of that. I mean, that was just, like, awful. And, of course, Ramos was behind the plate when that happened. What you, tough spot to be in. You get rid of him, and of course he goes on to be... I mean, like, DeGrom, if we're making comparisons, because everyone's comparing him to, to DeGrom, uh, DeGrom owns the team. So DeGrom is the face of the franchise at this point. And I think Noah thinks that he is on par with DeGrom, which is not the case. The, the, the issue is, like, okay, so you is he a Matt Harvey in the making? Uh, what I was saying was DeGrom didn't really break out or hit his stride until he was 27-ish. So, like, are we giving up, prematurely giving up on Noah, knowing that he probably has another four to five good, great years in him? That if he gets one or two things worked out, works out the kinks, you know, then you possibly have uh, a Cy Young-type pitcher on your hands. I know, it's hard to predict the future, but I just, I, it's hard to give up on him. And the, the thing that sticks out to me the, the parallel or comparison I make is Wilmer Flores. Flores goes to the D-backs. Mets gave up on him, quote-unquote. And now he's tearing the ball, tearing the cover off the ball. You know, we gave up on him too soon, or we should have got something more for him or traded. And it's like, and Flores is only like, I want to say he's 27 or he's around that same age. So now does he go off and hit his... His stride. I mean, look, look at Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy was like 30-something when he, like, peaked with the Mets and then went on and had two uh, two or three stellar seasons with the Nats. Like, typically, you're on the, 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 uh, the dawn, the dusk, I don't know, the downside of your career. When the, you know, so, honestly, I, I'd still like to give him another year once we now that we know that what we have i mean entering this season we thought we were going to have friggin like lowry and cano leading the way no (laughs) it's mcneil and alonzo and conforto and nimmo and rosario 
And if we can figure out the catching situation, I mean, we have Wilson Ramos for next year. So, you know, is he going to, is it going to be another frustrating season where he kind of like, it looks like he's a bust in the first half and then the second half he turns it on. Is that enough for you? What do we even do? I mean, like there's so many question marks, like what you do with all these contracts, Familia, Diaz, Cano, Lowry, free. Like I think Frazier's a free agent. So uh, unfortunately I don't think they're going to stick around with him. That's why I want them to win so bad on top of being a Mets fan. It's like, I want to see Frazier get his due. Um, but I think maybe Frazier, this is like the sweet spot for Frazier. The fact that he can be this guy that comes in off the bench for a critical pitch hit or that he can spot start here and there, get you uh, an extra edge against like a lefty, possibly just whoever he matches up with. Well, um, I mean, Mickey Calloway, there are two people that are, have been the downfall of the Mets this year. Mickey Callaway, Edwin Diaz. Mickey Callaway's decisions are costing this team runs um, and wins. And uh, if they don't make the playoffs, I can very easily see him not being the coach next year, not being the manager easily. As as much as, the I guess, the players love him and that he's a player's coach and he's, like, defending them and refuses to criticize them, you can't keep making bad decisions. This is, this is year two of making critically bad decisions errors that cost the team you're gonna walk a 194 hitter to get to bryce harper with the friggin bases loaded and we'll just you know really quick we'll get bryce harper out just really quick and i, I get it harper is tends has a tendency to struggle against the mets but still good god man focus on the present i know you're trying to look ahead and you need to plan ahead at certain points <coughs> but really i mean you know the 194 hitter is the one that's going to get out i mean it's a, just a numbers thing like he's going to get out versus bryce harper is not going to get out and i understand he wants to get through to deeper into the phillies bullpen because the phillies bullpen is just as bad as the mets bullpen if not worse um of course there was that hilarious video of like uh it was the Mets game too, where the, the, the relievers running and sprinting in, you just see Real Muto, they cut to Real Muto close up and he's just like rolling his eyes. Like, I cannot believe we're going to this guy right now. And it's turned into a meme, rightfully so. It's hilarious. And then Edwin Diaz is the other, the other person to, uh, who's just, <sighs> I don't know that you can keep this guy in a Mets uniform. I really don't. I cannot believe he keeps getting run out there. It is unfathomable that this guy continues to get opportunities and that we just hope that he's going to fix it. And then one, one appearance out of 10, he looks like he's back to his form. And the other nine is just like, are just, are just awful, debilitating, soul crushing appearances. I mean, the biggest one was the one that I would have recorded last week, and I probably should have because it was fresh and the wound was uh, gleaming in the moonlight. But, I mean, they're up 10-4 in that game, and they give up seven in the ninth to lose, and it's Diaz who gives up the uh, the home run to, to, to end it. <laughs> Some are saying it's the worst loss in Mets history, and I, I just refuse to believe that. I just refuse. Biggest lead blown? Maybe I could buy that, yeah. But, like, worst loss? Of course. But you know what was worse? 
losing six straight at home and getting swept twice at home. Braves-Cubs. That is the worst stretch of games that you can ever possibly hope for. Braves are not going to catch. We, we, we understand that. The Cubbies, though, I mean, you got to take at least one of three from them. I'm honestly not worried about the Nationals at all. I think they're, they have one of the toughest... I believe they have one of the toughest schedules heading down the uh, the pike. They have the Mets have the most home games out of any of the teams um, in the race. So they have 13 home games, uh, and I think the winning percentage for their opponents is less than 500. It's like 480, 490 something. Um, so they have one of the easier schedules coming up. It's like you just got to sweep at this point. Rockies, Red Marlin, Rockies, Reds, Marlins. Sweep, sweep, sweep. You cannot lose one of those games. That's nine to ten games that can be nine to ten wins. Have to win every single one of those. Um, because for whatever reason, we, we own the Nationals, I feel like. We, we can beat them. We stink against the Cubs. And for whatever reason, the Phillies, I've, I've never taken the Phillies seriously this year. I thought that we could, we could beat them. They seem so beatable, and we continue to lose games to them fucking brutal oh i mean yeah it was a tough loss it was a tough loss but you look and that could have been the the breaking point for this team the straw that breaks the camel's back that could have been it but what do they do they came back the next day day game and win eight to four resiliency is the word i was looking for jesus christ neil read a book so you come back and you beat the Nationals on their home turf in a day game hours after blowing a huge lead in one of the worst losses in franchise history. So a lot, that says a lot about the team, and that's why I, I have not given up hope. Because just when you think it's all over, they show you they put together a game like that. Then they go and beat the Phillies, and then they lose two straight. And Marcus Stroman... That does now look like a bad trade, for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm now leaning towards that was a bad trade because then you have Anthony Kay getting called up. Tony Buckets gets called up to the Blue Jays, uh, the big leagues, and he, he's pitching way better than Marcus Stroman. <laughs> so I, uh, Stroman needs to get his act together because if they're really going to move forward with him in 2020 and let Zach Wheeler go, I mean, Wheeler just pitched another gem last night, only gave up one run to the to Arizona. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm, I, it's a no-brainer. you got to keep Wheeler over Stroman. No matter how much a big a Mets fan he is, do better. It's insane. But, uh, you know, thank God for Seth Lugo and Justin Wilson. Since July 1st, Seth Lugo, 1.74 ERA. Justin Wilson, 1.46 ERA. And now, uh, I don't know how they're doing it. But Mickey Callaway is now going to them for multiple, multiple inning saves. Two inning saves. He's asking out of Seth Lugo and Justin Wilson. You can only do that for so long. I don't know how they keep doing it. Uh, Seth Lugo has the most relief appearances of at least two innings without allowing a run. 13, which is crazy. And I don't think I've ever seen a team do this before. Just not have a closer. A, a dedicated closer comes in for one inning. They got two Closers who had to work multiple innings to get the save. Yikes. And like the Jacob deGrom 
disrespect that the Mets offense shows to him is just outrageous. So this stat was from last week. This is in, this does not include, I think, his last one or two starts. But in 57 starts, he has seven, 16 and 17 record with a 2.13 ERA. I mean, this ain't cricket, dude. I don't even know if that's normal for cricket, but I can't think of another sport where you can perform that well and still have such a horrible win-loss record. That freaking, that tough loss against the Nats, the one that Diaz blew, the Mets entered the bottom of the ninth inning with a 99.7% chance to win, and they lost. I mean, to me, and maybe this is already happening, you can't put them out there. I mean, maybe you put them out there if you're really blowing out a team and it's like the sixth or seventh. He should not ever, ever see the eighth or ninth inning, and he should never come in with people on. And the moment he starts to crack, someone's up and warming up, and you delay the game. You just have to. I mean, he's just, uh, he's, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. So we got two more uh, with the Nats to get tonight. Uh, tonight's today's Wednesday, eleventh uh, recording. So it's the game tonight, seven, and then another game against the Diamondbacks. You sweep this series. That's nice. Diamondbacks are ahead of the Mets in the in the wild card race. I think they were like they were next in line. Um, so it's the, right now it's the Nationals who have like a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs. Even though I think that's I don't know. I honestly think they're going to crash and burn. And they have the Cubbies who have like a, I think a 30 to 40% chance of making the playoffs. They look good. I, I, I know Cubs fans will probably disagree, but like them getting Castellanos, so that's the guy I wanted the Mets to get. And he's been like absolutely demolishing the ball for them. So I think that they're in a good spot. Diamondbacks, I don't know why or how they're in the position they're in from what I've seen so far. Of course, the watch them probably come out and just, crush us the next two games because like i mean we we did throw degrom and wheeler at them um good wheeler so if we sweep the diamondbacks we're in a very good spot if we don't yeah but uh the brewers just lost christian yelich for the season that is a major blow so in my mind cross them off the list uh the phillies are the phillies i think that bullpen is going to continue to to kill them uh and I mean, they have some good pieces, but I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't believe in them at all. I think that, you know, I think that they are going to have a tough time pulling it together. They also have one of the most away games. They have more away games than home games heading down the stretch. And I think their opponents are like playing over 500. So it's going to be a tough road to hoe for uh, the Phillies. After the D backs, we got three games with the Dodgers, which gotta get at least one from that series you have the rockies gotta sweep that reds marlin sweep sweep so i'm looking at if we're at 72 73 wins now 73 74 if you can get to 83 84 wins in that final week or so final two weeks you're in a good spot um so that's what i'm counting on nationals to crash the crashnals Phillies to kind of sputter. I think they've been playing around 500 balls since the break um, after having an a, a outrageous May. 
and uh and the Mets to just take off and I think that everyone's got that vibe now like we got another run on us we got we got we had a oh, one of the all-time runs 15 and 1 18 and 2 something like that and I think now that we're getting everyone back healthy and full strength offensively we're we should be in a good spot even though they, they've struggled the past two games to put up runs um you know if if they start clicking again alonzo conforto nimmo rosario um mcneil you know and if cano continues to stay hot now you're you're running into a different champagne problems of like well who's gonna get the nod now the beauty of that the pro side of that the upside is like you have options dude who's hitting the best against this joker throw them out there you know and that depth is what they lacked previously so if someone goes down and you know oh god we're fucked now it's like that with the expanded roster 40-man roster september call-ups that sam haggerty guy sam sam haggerty love that guy the pinch runner he's like he, i i assume he's fast wilds put him in as a pinch runner and he looks fast but he looks like christian yelich so I think that he's going to help us get over this Christian Yelich curse that's going on. This this omen. And what happens? Same Haggerty comes up. Christian Yelich, DL. Sorry, IL. My mistake. No offense. So I think Sam Haggerty is the secret low key key uh, weapon X to this whole race that we're going through. They got another run. I'm telling you, they got another run in them. I think the only thing that is going to hold them back is uh, that bullpen because you can only rely on Lugo and Wilson. So the uh, potentially maybe if they were only throwing one innings, right? You could do back to back to back to back. So, but that's uh, hoping that, you know, that's hoping that your starters are, get, are giving you seven, which only DeGrom and possibly Wheeler have given you. Stroman's not getting you anywhere near seven. He can barely give you five. So, I mean, anytime they roll him out on the mound, you would think that's an automatic loss, but they've won two of his three starts. So, you know, talk about baseball psychology 101. They see DeGrom out on the mound. They don't want to they don't want to hit the ball. And they see Stroman on the mound. They're like, give him all kinds of support. And then Thor, you know, Noah, it's like, did he. You can. You know, it's only, you know, it's all downhill from here. It's all, you know, you're looking up from here. There's no way you get worse than that start you had where you give up 10. Um, you know, you just got to figure out the catcher situation. And Mats, what Mats are you getting? Are you getting the one that gives you a, a gem, a complete game, uh, one run effort? Or are you getting the guy who's given up six in five? You know, a lot of question marks. Well, you got to think that if they do squeak into the postseason, that the Grom, Thor, Wheeler are your top three, and you could alternate them, and then you put Stroman and Mats and uh, um, in the bullpen, help you out there, especially in a you know situational uh, type situations. Situation. Wow, I just said situation more than Mike the Situation Sorrentino. Uh, okay. So that's Mets. Um, let's talk Giants. Giants football. Okay. Oh boy, it's been a couple weeks uh, since I've talked Giants. A lot's happened since then, and uh, 
it just what happened in week one further cements my contempt deep-seated contempt and hatred for the for the preseason and for the offseason in general all that lead-up time from february to friggin september march april may june july august six seven months of just speculation and rumor conjecture and hype and all this other nonsense and you come out and they had me i i had a blog in my drafts in my drafts where i was going to predict game by game win loss record for the giants and i had them going 11 and 5 and i can't believe that i had them going that I cannot believe it after watching that game. And I don't know if they can even hit eight and eight. Originally I had eight and eight. I was like eight and eight, nine, seven-ish might be good enough for a wild card, depending on how everything else plays out. I mean, hell, they won the friggin' division with nine and seven in 2011. So it's like, again, this is not 2011. But is this 2007 i saw a reddit post that was comparing 2007 to 2019 and i think a lot of us giants fans had that same thought when we saw antonio brown bryant brown antonio brown get released by the raiders and then signed by the patriots and we're thinking whoa flashback randy moss 2007 moss goes off 23 touchdowns brady's throwing 50 plus touchdowns they go 16 and 0 they go 17 and 0 they go 18 and 0 they go 18 and 1 courtesy of the new york football giants is this an, an, a second coming of 2007 part of me hates the 2007 2011 happened the way they did because now every friggin' season no matter what kind of start we get off to and no matter what personnel we have and how we look we all think we got a little bit of that 07, uh, 2011 magic in us. We just got it because Eli's here. Eli's not 2007 Eli or 2011 Eli. He showed one play in that game against the Cowboys that made me think, whoa, maybe this is a different Eli. And it was the one where he uh, rolls out of uh, Vander Esch, Vander Esch's tackle, rolls out, keeps his feet. And throws a, a bullet uh, first down completion to Latimer, I believe, down the left sideline. That was obviously reminiscent of uh, the helmet catch. And that made me think, okay, maybe he's still got something left in the tank. But, you know, multiple people saying don't blame, blame Eli. And I wrote about this in the blog, the post-game recap. They, they don't want to blame me, Eli. And, it's, and I, I know 100% of the loss goes on the defense. I get it. This defense is very young, very inexperienced. Uh, I'm curious what James Betcher's actual thought process is or was. Um, and I think, you know, it's looking like DeAndre Baker is has the potential to be a bust because you traded up to get into that first round to get DeAndre Baker who won whatever the equivalent is the top college cornerback in the in the country that award he won he won that to get this guy and you think wow what a move kudos to gentlemen and then you don't start him he's not your starter you're co-starting him with antonio hamilton 
No, dude. Antonio Hamilton has seen zero defensive snaps in a Giants uniform. It's been all special teams, and all of a sudden you're co-starting him with your first-round pick who won, who won the top award in college? What's going on here? All that talk about Julian Love, all that talk about Corey Ballantyne, where the fuck were they on Sunday? It's outrageous. It, it's it's like it's 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 such a disservice to Giants fans what the media has done. And I'm gonna blame the media. I'm put a lot of blame on the media. These guys who are just uh, I mean it's for the clicks, and I get it. You gotta do whatever you want for the clicks, but like at a certain point, people are just don't believe you because you're gonna feed us this bullshit about how this is a young, hungry defense, and uh, you know they're making plays in the training camp and blah blah blah. And it's like training camp don't matter, homie. It almost doesn't matter. Your best ability is your availability. Just be there, honestly. So many training camp heroes that we've seen. Don't make the team. Don't do anything. And that, that was the case this training camp. I mean, fuck, look at TJ Jones. He had an out, uh, un, unreal preseason. He doesn't even make the team. And now it looks like we could use him because Sterling Shepard has a friggin' concussion. He's in concussion protocol. He's probably going to miss the Bills game. They're in a bad spot. I mean, I still have them. Uh, I mean, they're actually not favored over the Bills. The Bills are favored by two and a half. I think the latest line might be one and a half. It's a home game for the Giants, and we're not favored. And people are going to say it's because we have Eli quarterback. And while I don't fully believe all the hatred for Eli, there are moments and there are plays where it's like, dude, you are in your 16th season. You're better than that. That's just how it is. And you wonder what, what would it be like if Daniel Jones, what would Daniel Jones have done? WW. DJD. What would Daniel Jones do? I mean, that I mean, Dan Duggan uh, tweeted it out, and Carl Banks gave him all kinds of shit for it. Which Carl's kind of like hot and cold. I run with hot and cold with him because it's like sometimes he makes a good point, and sometimes it's just like, dude, what you know? Like Dan Duggan doesn't have a right to criticize. Okay, I don't have a right to criticize. Okay, you're a former player, you have a right to criticize, even though you're you're on the defensive side of the ball. But like. First of all, stop rolling Eli Manning out of the pocket. Just stop. Just stop. Just stop. He's 38. Stop rolling him out. He's not Daniel Jones. He's not Dak Prescott. He's not anyone. He's not. Does Tom Brady roll out? I don't. Maybe I don't watch enough Patriots games, but I doubt that Tom Brady rolls out a lot, especially like sprint rollouts. The fuck are you thinking, Sharmer? Anyway, the one sprint rollout. Uh, it was right after there should have been a 12-minute-on-the-field call against the Cowboys that wasn't called because supposedly Jason Carrick called timeout and Shermer lost his mind. So we didn't get that call. We didn't get a lot of calls on Sunday, but you can't blame the refs. They roll out Eli, and this is where he had Tomlinson, 83, tight end, over the middle. He had Barkley in the flat. I think he had maybe Shep a little bit further down the field who was, he, he was covered. And Eli kind of is getting bum-rushed by Van Esch. And he sees, I believe what happens is he sees Jalen Smith stop. Because Jalen Smith is running to the left. He, he saw Barkley in the flat. He saw that there was coverage on Barkley. And so Jalen Smith stops and looks to back up, potentially into Tomlinson's path. The issue is Smith is like seven yards away from Tomlinson. 
And from the what from that angle, it looks like Eli looks at Tomlinson and decides to come back to Barkley. And, and by the time he throws it to Barkley, he gets hit. And, of course, it goes short, and they call it intentional grounding. It moves us out of field goal position, so we lose points. And Aikman said it on the broadcast. Dude, you're in your 16th season. You don't know to throw it away if you don't have anything. He did have something. He had seven-yard separation with Tomlinson and Jalen Smith. And I know Jalen Smith is an is a athlete. He is a beast. I get that. But to cover seven yards, you can't fire it in, drop it in, find a way around Jalen Smith. I think you think too highly of Jalen Smith, to be honest. So that costs us points. Uh, the the third and one, you hand it off to Elijah Penny. Stupid. And like Shermer in the press conference, it's almost pointless to have these press conferences with Shermer because he's never he's never going to cave on any of his decisions. He's never going to. You can ask him until you're blue in the face and and continue to just uh, you know chip away at him. He's just he's a rock. He's not going to. He, I mean, he was obviously pissed and frustrated and impatient. He didn't even know that disconcerting was a word. Come on, Pat. Third and one, hand off to Elijah Penny. I understand Elijah Penny's a big, strong dude. I understand you got a big, strong line. Saquon Barkley took a negative two-yard carry and turned into a seven-yard gain. That's what he can do. Can Elijah Penny do that? I don't think so. Give the ball to Saquon uh, Barkley. And then on fourth fucking down, you roll out Eli again, dude. It gives me flashbacks, and I get sweaty thinking about it. Cold sweats. Thinking about Kerry Collins. And how Jim Fossil and Sean Payton used to fucking roll his ass out. And every time they rolled it out, bad things happened. Nothing good happened when you roll out Kerry Collins. Nothing good is going to happen when you roll out Eli Manning. Stop. It's just like, it's, it, it, it's, it gets to the point where I think they're outthinking themselves simplify the game plan you know it works Saquon Barkley needs to get at least 20 touches when you get more than 15 touches that's a good thing you usually win ball games 11 touches not gonna work I understand your offense was not on the field you probably don't win that game nine out of ten times you probably don't win that game because your defense stinks out loud and it makes me wonder what the hell they were thinking going into the season did they know that this was gonna happen and they're just like yeah well what do you want to do it's the talent we have but on fourth and one, you roll out Eli, and he gets hit and fumbles. And it's like Shepard gets tackled in the end zone. And it's like, yeah, there is no legal contact when the quarterback's out of the pocket. Yet another reason why you shouldn't fucking roll out Eli Manning, because you allow that kind of shit to happen. They threw a flag, they pick it up. I mean, Shep got tackled, no doubt about it. But stop rolling out Eli, get the ball to Saquon. Now, the positives from the offense in that game. Here are the positives. One three and out, no three and outs. Three and outs, historically low. That is phenomenal. That is great. It's also a testament to how the Cowboys' defense is not as all cracked up to be. Everyone thinks it's great because they held us to 10 points. We had the potential to get 28 points, 28 to 35 points. It was on par with what you saw in the season finale at at MetLife Stadium last year, where we were just trading scores. That was similar to what was going on in that game. Final score doesn't reflect that, but the point the Giants left points on the board. Two or four in the red zone. They were in 
Cowboys territory on one or two, maybe three more drives, didn't come away with points. So the Giants offense was able to move the ball. Can they do it without Shepard? I don't know, dude. I don't know. Evan Ingram had 11 catches. He had an uh, outstanding uh, overall grade from PFF. You know, take that for what it's worth. Um, But uh, good run blocking grade, which you don't normally see. So he's piecing it together. I think he's going to have a pro ball season. I think he's going to have over a thousand yards receiving. I think he's might lead the team in touchdowns. If it's not for Saquon, it'll be uh, Evan. And, you know, he's a weapon. But don't throw him the ball on a shallow two yard crossing route on third and 17. Dude, I understand you're trying to get whatever the defense gives you three yards. How the fuck is three yards mattering at all at that point? That's why uh, Shermer's press conference is I can't watch them anymore because it, the, the reporters are bringing up valid points that everyone is asking. And if everyone, fans, reporters, et cetera, uh, understandably, our knowledge base, not as extensive and thorough as yours, Pat, I get that. But like if everyone is thinking that and you're not, or you have to be thinking it, and you're just in denial mode, and you're not going to show any weakness or vulnerability. You're just going to stick to your guns. Good on you, I guess. I don't know if I could do that. Just own up to it. Be like, I made a mistake. You are correct. I made a mistake. We're going to fix it. Nope. That was the right decision. They're soft two, soft zone, deep uh, cover two. You know, I don't pretend to be a football expert. I'm not. I sucked at football. I threw more in INTs and TDs. I'm not good at football. I get that. When I hear soft zone cover two, I think your receivers, your talent, your weapons can find spots, settle down, and Manning with his now rejuvenated arm, this strong arm that he picked up all the offseason thanks to Al Leiter, will be able to put the ball where he wants. He's accurate. I will say that about Eli Manning. Very accurate on Sunday. And so if he's that accurate... You got to start thinking about throwing the ball in tight windows, something that Daniel Jones did in the preseason. They had a stat. DJ had like a yard of separation. If, if Eli's getting a yard of separation, he needs to be able to throw the ball in the right spot and get the ball to the right receivers. And, and then that's eventually going to be his downfall. If he's not taking chances and not taking risks and he continues to dink and dunk and check down, you can't live with that. And as much as Shermer says, oh, he takes what the defense gives him, is he, though? Because when you're playing a soft zone, to me that says they're giving you a lot. I could be, I could be completely off base on that. But, I mean, you just, uh, you know, two for 12 on third down, that stinks. But it also, to me, indicates the fact that uh, they didn't have three and outs means that they were moving the ball. It's just when third down comes along, they clam up or something. Something happens on third down. And they got to get over that hill, get over the hump. That post-game conference with Shermer made me uncomfortable. The dude could not stop scratching his forehead, rubbing his forehead, scratching his head. And I'd love to have a body language expert tell me what that means. Because in my mind, that means he is extremely worried and anxious and not comfortable with what's going on. He has to be. 
because there were, you know, as much as people want to count out the Giants heading into the season, I know a lot of people did, especially after the Golden Tate suspension, especially after losing uh, Corey Coleman, especially after not having Darius Slayton with the hamstring. I mean, you're down to like your, your one, two, three, four, five, sixth, and seventh receivers now. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Um, so a lot of people were counting them out, and I understand that, but that was when, that was, in my mind, that's where the Giants thrived, and that's where they could have come up big, and they could have uh, shocked the world and surprised people, and at least been competitive. This was just a, uh, like, and I mean, the Cowboys had zero respect for anyone on the defensive side of the ball. The, hardly any pressures, maybe one hit, no, uh, no, I mean, no hurries, like any defensive stat you can throw out there, the Giants stunk at. You know, I don't, I mean, Jabril Peppers didn't really show me enough. I mean, you had two, two, the top three tacklers were your safeties. Not great. I want to see more out of Jabril Peppers and Antoine Bethea. And I think that maybe they didn't play as well on tape as they could have, because, you know, there might be relying too much on the young talent. You got to give the young talent help, man. Betcher, what are you thinking, dude? If you, if you know that DeAndre Baker is getting toasted, Get him help. Antonio Hamilton can't tackle. Get him off the field. You at least have to be able to tackle. I mean, we knew multiple guys were going to be uh, playing opposite Jackrabbit, but like, it's not Antonio Hamilton's not it. What the hell did Corey Ballantyne Ballantine do to not get any playing time? Pathetic pass rush, checkdowns, can't cover tight ends. It's just you know. And now they're claim they claimed a Tuzar skipper on waivers. Uh, the Steelers uh, placed him on waivers. He's six three, two forty six, kind of a linebacker with his hand down defensive end. Um, had an outstanding defense uh, senior season at, at Toledo. The Mac, that's some hardcore action. He was undrafted. Eight and a half sacks. Uh, was third in the conference. Eleven tackles for loss. Was top ten. Two forced fumbles. Returned one for a touchdown. Was third team all all conference. Um, he recorded five sacks and two forced fumbles in the preseason. If that's our answer, I mean, if he can put up that kind of numbers, that's a great pickup. But it's sad that that's, I mean, that's not good when we're doing that. It doesn't indicate to me a whole lot of confidence in the guys that you had. And this is what is so crazy to me, is you have these guys for months and months and months and months. And you're saying, these are our guys, these are our guys, these are our guys, these are our guys, these are our guys. And then you come to week one, and it's like, uh, we're co-starting that guy. And now we're signing this guy uh, off of waivers. It's like, dude, is that on Is that on management, the guys, uh, your, your scouts? Is that on the coaches? Figure it out, dude, because we are not favored against the friggin' Buffalo Bills. And I get it, the Bills have an amazing defense, uh, top five defense, if not the best defense in the league. And we possibly are going to be without uh, Zeitler, who's got a shoulder thing. Remmers, the back thing might be acting up again. <sighs> Lack of depth of receiver. I mean, you just got to lean on Engram, Barkley, and just find yardage where you can. At some point, you got to say, fuck it. Let's just wheel and deal. Throw the ball down the field. And if you believe in your guys, have your guys make plays. It's as simple as that. Engram one-on-one is going to win. 
most, more times than not. Barkley one on one, more times than not. And if you got defenses doubling on those two, someone else has got to be open. Hi, yi yi. I have them going six and ten now after that one game. Um, you know, and uh, I'll close with this. If this is a repeat of 2007, and you remember 2007, we our defense did not look great in week one and week two. I think we had gave up the most points out of any team in the league in those first two weeks in 2007. A lot of things are lining up that lined up in 2007 that looks similar, and maybe you can trick yourself into thinking that. I don't see Shermer lasting. And I don't see Betcher lasting if this team goes six and ten. I don't see it. I think at most, if they're feeling, if the mayors are feeling generous, if Gettleman thinks that he's put the right players out there and you're not using them the right way, maybe you give him twenty twenty, but that's it. And I know for most coaches, you need, it's almost like a college or high school coach. Like you have somewhat, you inherit someone else's draft class or, or recruit, recruitment class recruits. And then, you know, you give them four years because then they can get their own recruits in the system and whatnot. So four years, I guess, would be the leash. But like, it feels like you're wasting Saquon Barkley. It really does. And you're just wasting these guys that are just top-level talent. And it, I, you cannot... And, and, and even though Eli's numbers look great on paper, 30-something, 400 or 300 yards, touchdown, most of his balls are not going beyond the line of scrimmage. Can't have that. You need a guy who attacks the field, attacks defenses. Defenses are not scared of us, and they should be. Because I think this team, this offense has a lot of potential to put up 25, 30 points a game. And they had the potential to do that on Sunday, and they missed their spots because of bad play calling and bad decision-making from the quarterback. I'm still holding out hope, you know. I still think they can, if they can get to a 3-1 first quarter performance, uh, first four games, you put yourself in a good spot. If they go two and two, one and three, nah, dude. Just it's we're looking forward to Daniel Jones. We're looking forward to the 2020 20, 20 draft. Whew, brutal. And I just interviewed with a, a Cowboys fan. That was awkward. So, all right, that's uh, that's giant mess. That was a three-hour extravaganza. Hope you appreciated it. Um. Go to Facebook.com, Giant Mess, Real Cinch on uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Hit me up. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what your thoughts are. And we still have that hotline that no one calls, 862-BIT-1986. Uh, until next week, adios, muchachos.